Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, or should I say Brothers and Sisters of the Corn. I certainly don't want to make he who drinks dozens of beers angry with me. Coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys discuss their favorite film franchises of all time as they get sloppy drunk on adult beverages while smoking the Diesel Atonement TAA 2022 cigar from Forge Cigar Company. Speaking of atonement, as we always do, our favorite crew of inebriated cornballs must atone for their constant, never-ending sinning by also talking about the 2023 Children of the Corn reimagining. Yeah, that's a movie that apparently exists. Who knew? Well, I guess somebody needs to talk about it, so it might as well be these fucking idiots. Anywho, friends, it sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. When I say sit back, I don't mean sit like fully reclined, because... You know, you might just fall asleep listening to this endless reimagining of a podcast. So sit back, but not too far. Light them up and enjoy the show. Well, let me take a real quick. Yeah, let's let's all let's all have a sip of some. Uh... Yeah, there we go. Hmm. It's like I'm drinking water straight from the rivers of the piney oh. woods. That's good. Uh, welcome, everybody. You know what? Let me get one more little sip of this. Technically, you probably shouldn't drink the waters and the rivers of the Piney Woods. Oh, Tut, whatever you did in those waters years ago, it's got to be cleared out of there by now. <laughs> I don't know. It's not what I did, you know, decades ago. It's what the meth heads are doing today. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it's not implying that all residents of East Texas are meth heads. Well, if I wake up at three in the morning, coated in sweat, trying to suck my own dick, 
I'll blame you. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 161. 161, nice. Is it just me, or are they kind of creeping along slow? Like, I feel like we've been in the one late 150s, early 160s for like four or five years now. Yeah, I think it took us two years once the <laughs> pandemic hit to get through the 50s. Yeah. I actually feel like we've gone backwards. Are you sure it's 161? I thought. I'm, I'm actually not sure. I thought, uh, I thought we did 169 last time. I, no, no, no. 169 is no, when we're, we're on the march. We're doing the march to 169. When, when we hit 169, we're, we're closing shop. That's the last, the last episode. <sighs> okay. Huh. Yeah. I thought we were. Don't get too excited. It's going to be like 2025 by the time we get there. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, usually it's been a while. Everybody doing okay? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, tell you, you sound wonderful. Uh, I was going to say, usually it's been a while since we've seen each other, but uh, three of us got together last week uh, or so, sans the doctor, for a celebratory fire pit session, sans the fire pit. Uh, it was a really scary thunderstorm going on. Uh, like really scary. Uh, tornado warning. Tornado warning. So I, I, I got the, uh, the Cade women in the bathtub and then jumped in Tut Subaru and headed a few miles north to that all wheel drive, baby. Never let you down. <laughs> Never let you down. We, uh, man, you love that Subaru. It's a nice little ride. Oh, I enjoyed it. Uh, but anywho, we, uh, we got together with Yaks and, uh, some of the other fellas and, uh, we drank some delicious, uh, Yebiga Rakia. Uh, our brother Lance brought his traditional, uh, birthday offering of tasty scotch to celebrate Tut's birthday, which he, uh, belated birthday, which we had missed. I, I had wished Tut a happy birthday on Facebook. So I was, that was enough. I was. I, was I didn't. I didn't know what day your birthday was, Tut. So I don't. Uh, I don't let anybody. Don't feel bad. I don't let anybody know. Well, a belated happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Hey, real quick. Um, speaking of wishing people happy birthday on Facebook, Tut. Uh, yours was just uh, last month. So every year, uh, your family, your friends or at least people you're friendly with, uh, wish you happy birthday on, on, on your Facebook profile. And every year, uh, as I'm at the end of the day, I'll open up and see who took a little bit of time out of their day to, to wish old Matt Kate a happy birthday. And every year, at least 50% of them do one of two things. They'll either say, Happy birthday with no punctuation at the end. Yeah. Or happy birthday, period. Which my oldest daughter is like, that's, that's a aggressive. Red, he's like, that's a red flag of some psychological dis- that's disorder. That's right. The kids are saying the period is now aggressive. Well, no, it's just, ha- ha- I think the period's worse than no punctuation because you use the period, you know that there's supposed to be punctuation rather than hit the exclamation point, which is right there on the same row as the period. You chose the period. I don't want to seem too excited about this guy's birthday. I'm just going to happy birthday. Cause that's what I hear in my head. Cause I know these people and I hear their voice just happy birthday. End of statement. 
that's it. So every year, has no tone. Every year, I take it as a teachable moment, and I respond to everyone who doesn't use an exclamation point. And like, no exclamation point. And then some have learned over the years, and now they're like, overdo it, like ten exclamation points. But that's fine. I'd rather be too many than not enough. But uh, I don't know. I just yaks. Uh, tell you're on Facebook. Does that ever bother you when they they don't not use, at all. They don't use proper punctuation. They're probably upset at me because I don't respond. But now what I think I'm going to do is when I respond, when I give someone a happy birthday, I'm going to do happy birthday exclamation period. Oh, see, that's even worse than. <laughs> I'm happy start. Don't do that to me, pal. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, enough about Tut's birthday. I feel like every year that's all we talk about for a whole episode is Tut's birthday. Sick of it. Oh, y'all, y'all never do. I'm sure that's accurate, but. Uh, I mean, it's the opposite. We never talk about your birthday. Yeah. Oh, Just I'm like sorry. I like. I'm sorry. You know what else? Since I'm on a rant here, Tut, I know I've got you. You've got my back on Excuse this one. Me. <laughs> no, Tut, put the axe down. Oh, okay. All right. Tut. All right, I didn't I didn't have you on my team with the birthday stuff on Facebook, but what about this? You know how people change their profile pictures? They put those little borders on it. Yeah. Uh, to like support causes. Like, would you like mm-hmm. to? Use? And it'll be like some chick at a Tex-Mex place with the, this giant margarita, and it'll be like, I support Ukraine around it. Like, yeah. Tell me that that doesn't get on your nerves. Oh, it gets on my nerves. Okay. Like, really? You're pounding that. Grande margarita. You know who could use Ukraine. You know who you, who could use a big ass fucking margarita right now? The chicks over in the Ukraine. Got bombs right. bombs dropping on their goddamn heads. But hey, thanks. Or the uh the one I love the ones where it's like same thing, like some chick in a yoga pose and she puts the thing on there. End racism. <laughs> end racism. And like do you really think there's some dude scrolling through Facebook? He's like, God damn, I, I hate every everyone that's not. Oh, wait a minute. Huh. Racism. Cheryl, Cheryl just changed her profile picture to end racism. You know what? Maybe we are all created equal. Yeah. 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 Ugh. Anyway. Now no, I always see I always see the people that do that, and it's like that's the digital equivalent of thoughts and prayers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe the only thing more useless than thoughts and prayers. Uh, all right. I'm sorry, folks. That's the end of my, uh, nonsensical for Facebook rant for now. Uh, podcast up your ass. Am I right? What? Podcast up your ass. Up my ass. I, I don't get it. No, not up your. I was listening to a, a interview with Metallica oh. and Yaks, I'm sure you, maybe some of the other guys will know this back in 83, when they were first forming, they recorded their first album and James wanted to call it metal up your ass. And yeah. they even, they even had artwork done of the toilet with this, this hand coming out of the toilet, clutching this dagger with like some lightning bolts. coming. It's a real deal. It's a, a true story. It's kind of and, metal. Uh, 
the the Megaforce Records, the executives were like, you can't name your first. This is a great album. You can't call it Metal Up Your Ass. Uh, and so they were like bitching about it afterwards. The band, they're like, man, I just want to kill them all. Like these record executives, and that's where the kill them all for their first debut oh. record came from. Uh, so that I was is thinking, an interesting anecdote. That's very true. And I encourage everyone, I'll put it up here on the, when you, if you watch this, uh, episode, which you should be watching on YouTube, I'll put the, uh, artwork for the metal up your ass, uh, album artwork. It's, it's, it's pretty classic. Uh, probably a good call not to, to go that way. But if you remember a few years ago, I was trying to think of a new name for the show because, because we have the word cigar in our show, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. We can't advertise on Google. We can't do anything really to, to spread the word or to, to reach out on the marketing side. So I was like, man, you know, James had it right. Like he wanted a name that everyone would stop and you'd have to pay attention to. So I was thinking maybe we change the name of the show to podcast up your ass. You said that we're uh, ceasing in eight episodes, right? So what, what would the point? Yeah, but like Tud said, it's probably going to take us another three years to get through those eight episodes. So there's time to workshop some some ideas here. I'm still trying to figure out why why is the podcast up my ass? Why is the metal up your ass? Oh, I'm sorry. You 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 thought it was pretty cool when Lars was just behind it, but then I I basically rip off that idea, and we could have a toilet with an arm coming up with either like holding like a stogie or a microphone. Podcast up your ass. I'm not doing any stogie insertions. It's, it sounds like a bad idea. Oh, we're trying to get. I never said I was for it. I just said that that was an interesting (laughs) anecdote. Okay. Well, you'll want, you'll want one of these t-shirts, doc. Trust me. Uh, All right. Uh, Again, this idea is just in its infancy stage, but I think my little beta test here on you guys was far from a smashing success. It sounds like you guys all hate it. I'm indifferent. Possibilities. I would need to see some, you know, some ideas thrown together. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, that was kind of visual. I'm going to need to see it. Uh, I'm going to need to see the embroidery of it. I'm going to need to see it on a couple of, you know, like a coffee mug. I'm going to need to see it on maybe, you know, a pen, uh, or a mouse pad. The only, nobody, nobody uses mouse pads anymore. The only thing that I think it would, would hinder it as a name of the show. And as I've been talking about it, just cause I haven't mentioned to anybody else, but you guys, so I'm just now hearing it out loud for the first time. Oh. I think you have to say it like really aggressive. What's the name of your, what's that name of your podcast you do? Podcast up your ass. Podcast up your ass. Yeah. See, that sounds, but if someone's like, Hey, uh, I've been mean to ask you, what's that podcast you're a part of? Uh, podcast up your ass. Podcast up your ass. See, that sounds Google like a podcast. Be, it sounds like it could be like a to- totally other kind of show. No, I, I actually disagree with that. I think if you just say it very casually, like, oh, I, I hear that you do a podcast. What's it called? You go, oh, yes. Podcast up your ass. But that sounds like you're insulting them. Like you're, I, you're uh, yeah, I kind of, no, I'm, I'm kind of now hearing it the way. Oh, you know what? Describing it. I'm starting and to get way it wasn't. Podcast up your ass. That's not <laughs> insulting. That's very aggressive and insulting. I think if you just say, yeah, it's called podcast up your ass. 
No, but I think I think when you say that, it sounds to me like you're telling them to shove it up their ass. And your yeah. way and, and podcast up your ass. That's not telling them that. No. I don't know. <laughs> Tell you're the marketing guy. What do you think? I'm kind of I'm kind of on board with Mincy's style. I mean, there's some there's some there's some pro level snark there that I think translates, uh-huh. and I think the audience translates to it too. And the audience is going to love turning it around on other people unsuspectingly, and they're like, "Hey, what podcast are you listening to?" And they're just, "Oh, podcast up your ass," and they're like, "Hey, hey," and then yeah. you know the joke gets passed on. Oh, so that like- person's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" It's going to be like a who's on first kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. Well, I'm going to spend a couple hours in the bathroom tomorrow trying to get the graphic design together. Uh, I'll send you guys some, some test shots and see where we're at. I don't know if yeah. I want any test shots that you're going to come up with in your bathroom. Uh, well, that's, my, getting... that's my normal phone feed. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, for now we are the Tuesday Night Cigar Club and I want to thank you for joining us every episode. We talk about things that interest us centered around three, the trifecta of subject matter for eight, almost nine years running. A premium cigar is on the table for review, and we pair that with some adult beverages. Uh, Back in the glory days, uh, we'd all share, sit at the table together and share the same beverage. Now we're left to our own devices uh where usually only i put any effort into what i select and everybody else just drinks with what they what they want to uh oh god did i say that loud you did I, everybody puts a lot of effort into tracking down a special drink that uh will go like to backtrack story. now i mean you know it. what podcast up your ass hey before before we get hey, into now the before we get to the beers, could I, could I have the floor for a moment? I need something unscheduled, but something dear and pressing to my heart. Yes. You have my permission, Todd. I don't know if I'm allowed to give it, but I, I'm interested in your sidebar. No, for I have eight to nine, I got to use the restroom eight, anyway. Okay. For eight to nine years, longtime listeners of the podcast have known that uh, I once was a road musician. I played keyboards and never really big time. Uh, we've uh, got real close to an independent label, uh, but we've played, I've shared the stage with basically a who's who of anybody in the country music from the 90s. And it was really cool. It was a great drunken time for like 10 years that I can't really remember well. One time on the show, uh, we got into this thing to where we had imagined that I was on the Travis Tritt tour and it was fun. Uh, for the record, I was never on the Travis Tritt tour. He's actually one of the few people I have not shared a stage with. Uh, but it was fun to imagine this Travis Tritt tour where just all sorts of mayhem and chaos reigned throughout the 90s and it was it was great and it's fun and i always feel a little sheepish when people walk up to me they're like you're on the travis Tritt tour and i have to be like no i wasn't but here's the thing is uh but but here recently uh travis Tritt has decided to go against budweiser um and i don't fault him for going against Budweiser, you're free to buy or not buy any crappy beer that you want. 
Um, I do not have a Bud Light sponsorship, but in the 90s, I definitely did. And I always had a Bud Light bottle or a can up on stage because you drink the sponsor. And if you want to put some vodka in that Budweiser can and hit the stage, then by God, you're probably a country Western superstar of the 90s. Uh, But here recently, uh, under the the leadership of one kid rock Travis Tritt has decided that he does not want to be part of the Bud Light tour anymore. And he is disavowing uh, to never buy Bud Light. And I'm not going to go into the reason why. Um, I just think that it's the wrong reason. And as such, uh, I am announcing publicly that I will never be part of the Travis Tritt tour. Uh, I find it something that I don't believe in. I find it a lifestyle that I don't believe in. And I will never, ever be part of the Travis Tritt tour. And I just want to put that out on record. I'm relieved, Todd. I thought you were going to say that Travis Tritt was suing the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, at which point I was going to go, this is Cade's baby, sayonara. We're closing the lid. Uh, it, this this isn't done. He's he's probably got some lawyers. Uh, and you know Travis Tritt. He's got his friend John. He's got his lawyers going there. He's hot stepping it all follow, over. Follow up question. Um, you said at the behest of Kid Rock or at Kid Rock's influence. Kid Rock's influence. Kid Rock put out a video. It's like I hate Bud Light with his AR-15, and this was probably what a couple of days before an AR-15 mowed down some people in Tennessee. But anyway, Kid Rock took his AR-15 and mowed down some Bud Lights. He's like, "How dare you put that face on a can? And how dare you put you celebrate that person? I hate Bud Light. I'll never drink another Bud Light again." And then blew up some Bud Light cans. Okay, interesting. Uh- so, uh, okay, Tut, um, you know, we, we'll always have your back. And, uh, I, it takes a lot of balls to say you'll, you'll never tour with a guy who doesn't know you exist. And I respect that. Uh, for our listeners out there, uh, if you, if you've been, uh, not, not keeping up with the news, yeah, yeah, Bud Light put a, uh, trans woman on their Bud Light can. Uh, and such, um, uh, what's the, uh, the, the elite brain trust of Kid Rock and Travis Tritt, uh, decided that that was, that was a step too far. And, uh, they were no longer could not only not drink it, but, uh, they, they wanted to tell people that they weren't going to drink it. Can you imagine having the, Having the balls to be like, I need to make an announcement that I'm not drinking a beer anymore. Uh, By the way, Travis Tritt's entire social media following is like 400,000 and hers is uh, like, what, 2.3 million? Yeah. That might be the reason why Travis Tritt is not putting his face on a Bud Light camera. I mean, that's, it just could be me. Well, you know, I, 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 I just don't understand why anybody would care whose face they put on a, a horrible beer. <laughs> I read a newspaper every day and had no idea that this was a thing. Yeah, they actually, uh, a lot of bars, uh, are pulling Bud Light, uh, from the show. It's, it's gotten an extra. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing, man. 
They had no problem putting those three dudes who dressed in drag in the 90s. There was a whole campaign about <laughs> ladies night. Was, There's yeah. like three dudes that would dress in drag, crash ladies night, so I could get Bud, they could get Budweiser. Hey, and they, everybody laughed their ass off at that. Weren't they the Redskin fans, The those dude Redskin fans who dress up like ladies? Wasn't that who that was? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I just know that the campaign was called Ladies Night. I remember it, but uh, well, anyway, I I have found the the entire Bud Light thing uh just really uh comical, if nothing else, just because I, I a grown man getting out a gun and shooting beer because he, he he cares that much about that cheap ass swill that. He he's really hurt emotionally because they put some some chick's face on it. It's hilarious. Oh, by and the then, way, I'm I'm also going to put out the announcement on episode 169. I will actually be drinking Bud Light <laughs> all night, only because it'll trigger some people. I'm not a Bud Light drinker. I, I just yeah, if it's the last thing there, I'll, I'll probably drink the hell out of it. But it's not something I go to. Uh, but yeah, on the on 169, I'm drinking Bud Light all night. Hey, Yak Boy, you're in the hot seat. Are you guys still serving Bud Light at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas? Yes. There you go. See, he doesn't care That's about... also because all of our bottles don't have anything on them. They're just the standard Bud Light. <laughs> oh. They put that on the cans primarily. Oh. Well, hey, here's the... Here's the uh, I'll, give, I'll give you one little uh, follow-up on that story uh, that I found hysterical. T- the Harvard grad who uh took over bud lights marketing yeah uh, i think she's like a 40 something year old woman who she made the yeah. call that uh bud lights image was going nowhere it was still the frat you know frat house beer of america marketing was failing and they needed to be more inclusive and lose the the frat house image and really open up the doors to more progressive uh spokespeople and ideas and whatnot dude Somebody went to her face, speaking of Facebook, her Facebook page, and she had all these albums of her back in college in the nineties at Harvard, chugging beers, like, uh, filling, uh, big old, like giant condoms with beers and chugging <laughs> it. Like, get, out, get the fuck out of here. You can't write this kind of nonsense. Uh, oh man. That makes yeah. me want to follow this chick, man. I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to see how she parties. Well, if you, uh, let's just say if you get emotionally upset. I mean, that sounded like something that we used to do on the track to, uh, shit. John Marty Michael Stewart. Mo- John Michael Montgomery. John Michael Montgomery tour? No, no, he wasn't, he wasn't hard. Uh, Ernie, Ernie. It had to be the, it had to be the Marty party, man. Ernie Hudson? Uh, was they a singer? Uh, I think he was the black ghost. He was an actor. He was the black was ghostbuster. The ghostbuster. ghostbuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they put him on a Bud Light can, what Kid Rock would do. Just saying. I like that Tud is fired up, uh, and I appreciate the, the, the sidebar. And, uh, uh, I, I learned something tonight that I didn't know. I didn't, I did not know this about Bud Light. And like I said, I, I read a newspaper. I guess this wasn't in the Dallas Morning News. Um, this won't be a sidebar, just a comment. Uh, the world is a toilet bowl. And I think that maybe God should just flush the human race down it. Uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I kind of fall. I like my kids though. I don't want to see them flush down. But Jesus Christ! What the speaking fuck? speaking of toilet bowls, podcast up your ass. Oh, and Tut, when you said, or, or one of you, I don't, was it you or Kay, had said, like, yeah, he did, fired his AR-15 three days before it was used. So every day is three days before an AR-15 gets used to shoot somebody now. It really yeah, is. pretty much. It's pretty it's, much. Christ. Uh, okay. Well, that's it. We got a little current news in there. Yeah, and, yeah, a little hot take. And we made some current news that Tut will refused to step on stage with Travis Tritt ever again, which he never actually did. <laughs> but I'm still going to tell people that you did because it sounds better than, you know, our one of the guys on my podcast up your ass podcast uh, toured with Marty Stewart, whoever the hell that is. Dude, Marty Party? The Marty Party six pack? Oh, did he do that song? There's a stranger in my house. No, that was Ronnie Millsap. Right. Which that dude, he couldn't see, but he could see his way to a party, man. That guy was a party and beast. Huh. He was blind? Yeah, he was blind. Oh. Oh, that's why everyone was a stranger in his house, because he couldn't see who it was. That's pretty much. How about that? I learned, hey, I'm like the doctor. I just learned something. That's why the song, Somebody's Knocking. It's the reason why it's somebody, because he didn't know who was knocking. Oh, that's all. All his, all his songs, somebody, strangers, who is there? <laughs> somebody help me up. All the hits. <laughs> Ronnie Millsap. That's a great name. Uh, you know what? I have my name on uh, the Zoom screen here is Crispy Man. I'm going to change it to Matt Millsap. How's that sound? No, I'm going to leave it as Crispy Man. Father of Crispy Boy. We'll get to that here uh, in just a moment. All right. Well, as I was saying, we have the trifecta that we've done for over eight years here. We review a premium cigar. We pair it with some delicious adult beverages. And then we somehow tie it all in to a discussion about a feature film or lately uh, anything. It could be a a series, a television series. Uh, We've kind of broadened our scope a little bit. But tonight we are returning to our roots with a, a feature film. Uh, but let's get things started so we can, I know, I don't know about you boys. I'm dying to light up. Um, let's me introduce tonight's cigar. It is, boy, smell the foot of this thing. It is super sweet. Super, super sweet on the foot. It is the Diesel Atonement TAA 2022 by Forged Cigar Company. Oily son of a gun. It is an oily son of a gun too. Rub your fingers along that. Body. It is a six by fifty-two Toro box pressed, uh, Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Connecticut broadleaf binder, and all Nicaraguan filler. I will say price point to last. Uh, this cigar was made exclusively uh for the retail businesses who are members of the TAA, which is the Tobacconist Association of America, and is limited to one one thousand boxes of ten. So if I do the math, I think there's only 10,000 of these in existence. And Forge Cigar Company was kind enough to send us a few to smoke on the show. So uh, we're going to be talking about franchises a little bit tonight. 
and Diesel is absolutely a franchise in the cigar world. I looked it up. I stopped counting at 15 different lines of Diesel cigars, 15, 15 different brand extensions off of Diesel. Uh, Wicked, Heart of Darkness. We, I know you guys have had the Whiskey Row and the Whiskey Row Sherry, Sherry Cask. Uh, the Sunday Gravy they put out last year was pretty good. Crucible. I think I've actually had that. Yeah. The list goes on and on. They just make a ton of cigars. They used to be, I believe, a, Cigars International exclusive way back in the day, but um now they're widely available. Um And I'll give you a little more information on how to save some money on some of them when we talk price point uh much later on. But, mm, boy, a little chewy sweetness on that cold draw, too. Well, I, I dig the copper on black bands. Uh, it's got the primary round band at the top, the diesel atonement, and then it has the, uh, the symbol for the, uh, Tobacconist Association of America, which I don't know if you can see it in the light guys, but it's like a wooden Indian head. Um, that smaller label closer to the foot. Uh, it's, it's a good looking cigar. It's an oily, it's got some oils to it. It's got a nice box press. Um, I actually, it appears more like the wrapper's broadleaf than the binder. I, this is a really dark Sumatran, uh, wrapper. Tut, you already lit up. Anything, uh, anything yet? Uh, off the initial light, uh, an interesting mix of, uh, mineral and vegetable oil. It slides over to the vegetable oil side. Uh, there's a nice little pepper, uh, white pepper. Uh, not heavy, very light on the retro hell, the initial retro hell. Uh, just that, man, that barnyard stuff off, off that cold draw and that smell. That's, that's what was dominating me. Yeah. I'm getting a, a dead center medium white pepper through the nose and boy, it's hanging up there in the nose a little bit towards the top, kind of like a, a, yeah. was- a wasabi kind of burn, uh, right at the top there. So much so I couldn't really. Pay attention for a second what uh, was going on in the draw. Got some oak and some earth. Oak and earth. Mm. Very much so. But man, that pepper is literally just stuck. Right. Yeah. Right in my nose. Yeah. Smoke production is copious. Am I correct yet? Indeed you are. Okay, well, whew. smoky and peppery. I, I think we're getting a little more pepper than you, uh, Tut. Uh, well, let's let this slowly get into the, uh, cigar. And while it does that, Yak Boy, the handsomest bartender and bar owner in all of Central Texas. How many years running now, Yaks? Eight, nine? Uh, negative. This year will be 16. 16 years you've won most handsome, uh, bartender, me, me, me. uh, bar owner in Central Texas. My God, man. You're like, uh, Tom Selleck when he was getting all those People Magazine Sexiest Man Alive covers. It's like, give somebody else a chance, man. Uh, but we're proud of you. Uh, you know, you know, we're always rooting for you. Um, maybe I'll open a bar, give you a run for your money. Please do. 
<laughs> Competition is good. Tut, you want to go best? Go more people go and out. End up like the rest. Tut, you want to go into the bar business with me? No way. I'm not entering that competition against Cody. Those was, judges, those was, judges, they love that. They love him. I was, slap us down with the ugly stick. I, I was kind of thinking you'd be more of a behind the scenes player. Oh, oh. Yeah. I, I'll be the face of the operation. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's actually fine. That, that's, you're going to get hit up the side of the head with the ugly stick. Okay. Well, I don't have any money, so I'm going to need you to be the primary investor as well. We'll talk after the show. Uh, well, this guy, what I'm getting at here, folks, as you know, loyal listeners and viewers, Yak Boy knows his shit. And that's why every episode I turn to him to introduce you all to what we are drinking. Uh, like I mentioned, we're all in charge of our own beverages. Like the big boys that we are, we get up in the morning, we put on our big boy pants, and we go down to the store and we get some big boy drinks. And are you wearing your big boy pants tonight, Ted? Yes. Yes, I am. I mean, they have cargo pockets, but they're still big boy pants. Those aren't, those aren't big boy pants. Yeah, they are. I mean, they have to be big to fit me now. I'm uh, kind of, I'm kind of like going this way. It's, uh, you know, uh, forget if you look that. at when I, we first started this podcast, I was like, you know, all good and in shape. And then now you look at me and I'm off. Oh man. Yeah. It is not wise. Imagine to- what nine years did. It is not wise to go on YouTube and look at uh, episodes from our first season. And lots changed. Lots changed. Uh, Cody and I are Cody and I are swapping. Like when when we first started, Cody had pounds on, and dude has slimmed down tremendously. That's why he keeps winning those freaking best looking bartender awards. Jeez, why don't you just write him a poem already, Tut? Cody. Cody, Cody. That's yeah. We can do better than that. Cody, muscular man who stands in front of the brick wall in the eye core of the greasy temple night sky, staring mm-hmm. up. I'll, I'll work some more on it. Did you say eye core? Yeah, or a lot of books. That, that I mean, I I I like the I core. I thought I C H O R. Yeah, I like the. Oh, I thought it was like I E Y E C O R, like the yeah, core of your eye. That's what I thought too. But it's spelled I chore. This is oh. a work in progress. I just felt I could do a little bit better. I think you need to do a play on the word and keep the I core E Y E core. And I was just kidding when I said that maybe God should flush the human race. It's been bothering me ever since I mentioned that several minutes ago. So I wouldn't Oh, we've, we've all said things on this show that bothered us tonight. Thankfully, I'm not a public figure and don't have to worry about being canceled. I don't think. Ted's, Ted's already sent me a text. He's already got some things he said that he'd like me to delete uh, in the editing process. So uh, if you'd like, if you like, if you like doctor, I can wipe that out as well. Yeah, let it ride. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, hey. I, I'm drinking. You guys are drinking. Uh, Yaks, why don't we, uh, start off setting the bar high? Why don't we tell everybody what crispy man Matt Millsap is drinking tonight? He, crispy, crispy man is drinking from False Idol Brewing. 
the cultivation of energy. That's a very weird name for a beer, but it's, I, li- I like the brewing name, False Idol. 7%. Now, the question I have is I couldn't find. Does it give the IBUs on there? It is hops, mosaic, nectaron, peacherine, and strata. It is 7%, as you said. It does not give the IBUs. No, sir. So what would you put the IBUs at then? Well, it is not- a hazy, so, I mean, it's going to be, I, I'd probably say it's 30s. Well, this doesn't, on the candidate, it actually doesn't list it as a hazy. It has, it says a, a theolized cold India pale ale. What? Hmm. Which I actually, funny story, I didn't think I was going to be able to do this beer tonight. Uh, I bought a, a four pack of it last Friday and we had some Tex-Mex at the house and I was like, all right, I'll crack open one of these as uh, the only beer I had in the house. These, the cultivation of energy, theolized cold India pale ale. That doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? Um, and about an hour later, I'm having a cigar and all of a sudden my ears get bright red and start burning like they're on fire. And like enough to where I went up to my wife and I was like, Hey, feel my ears. And I was like, I'm not falling for that again. I'm like, no, 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 really feel my ears. And she touched him and she was like, Oh my God, like what's going on? Like your ears are like burnt. Like they're, they were hot to the touch. I'm like, yeah, that feels like they're, they're on fire. And she was like, well, would, would you do the eat that was different? And I was like, I don't know. I had this weird beer called the cultivation of energy, theolized cold Indian pale ale. I really, I really need to work on that name. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, well, what does theolized mean? And so I looked it up and it's like some hot process with the hops that they do to it. And she was like, well, maybe you're allergic to this theolization process of the hops. Uh, and that's what's making your, I mean, dude, it was, it was insane how hot my ears were, but we had also ate food from a new restaurant and they, I had had uh, some red and green salsa that was new to me. So who knew what was in that? So anyway, skip ahead the next day. I'm like, all right, I got to see if it's, uh, well, no, I'm sorry. The next day I'm like, all right, well, uh, my ears are back to normal. Uh, I guess we'll see if it happens again on the podcast. I'm going to do this, feature this beer on the podcast. She's like, you're not drinking that again. She's like, if you're allergic to those theolized hops and you have a reaction out in the studio, I'm not going to know about it. And, you know, your numb nut friends aren't going to know how to get you help through the Zoom screen, which <laughs> she's right. Uh, Hurtful, but accurate. <laughs> I, I'm, I am, I'm hurt. Oh, come on. If I plopped over right now, you guys would just shut your laptops. And... Like I said, hurtful but accurate. So she's like, you can't, I don't want you to, and I'm like, oh, come on, man. It's, first of all, it's expensive. It's like 22 bucks for a four pack. Um, and I was like, so, so, uh, Tuesday night, two nights ago, we're recording this on a, on a rare Thursday. We always usually record our Tuesday night cigar clubs on Tuesday nights, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm making tacos. It's taco Tuesday. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to drink another one of those beers to see if it, 
sets my ears on fire again. And uh, I'm like, if it does, and I get like, my throat starts closing up and stuff. Yes, I'll look like a dumbass. <laughs> my wife will look at me like we looked at Kid Rock with that stupid AR-15 shooting those Bud Light cans. Like, you idiot. But I was like, I've got, I, I, it can't be that. Cause she'd also floated out because they, my kids made me give up beer for Lent for like six weeks or eight weeks or whatever. She's like, maybe you just can't drink any IPAs anymore. And then I went into the doctor's realm, just end everything now. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where I can't drink IPAs. So anyway, I drank one Tuesday night free of the unusual green and red salsas from the Friday night pre- previously. And I was fine. And I, and I'm on my second one tonight or finishing up my first one tonight. Ears are room temperature, actually maybe even a little chilly. So, uh, it was something in that Verde, Salsa Verde. I'm telling you boys. Uh, knowledge is the fountainhead of wisdom. And is anybody else besides me thinking of the Emerson Lake and Palmer song? Oh, what a crispy man he was. Just me. Sorry. Uh, crispy man. Yes. No, I did. Uh, but if you'll note, if you'll notice, she's holding a giant glowing kernel of corn on the can. Is that what that is? Yeah. Didn't liberals make Land O'Lakes take the Indian off of their butter? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these guys, the false idol brewery is probably in some hot water for this, huh? Uh, well, I picked it. Obviously, we're. I don't know if I'm allowed to comment. Corn kernel? This looks like a crystal ball of some kind. Uh, no, it's a corn kernel. Don't worry about it. Um, wasn't worrying. Just it's it's. I thought it was like a a glowing ball of energy. The the cultivation of energy. You know, like Dragon Ball Z style. He's doing like the Kamehameha, and it's like just building up, and then it's gonna explode. Look closely. You can see it right there where my finger is. I, I can't see it. And your finger is completely in the way. Oh, I, I'd move it if I could. Um, but obviously I got, uh, I selected this beer because we we're going to be discussing 2023's reimagining of Stephen King's Children of the Corn, where they most definitely, those little bastard kids, worship a false idol. And it's got the Indian on the cover, Indians. They were big users of corn, only they called it maize. Dude, you had it, you had it at False Idol. That, that was a good, I, yeah, no, you didn't no, have no to one could have that. argued the tie in at False Idol. Everything else you're, you're pushing it. Oh, they, they did call it maize. The Indians did call corn maize. That is correct. I like the corn that's on the can, label of this can. <laughs> all right. Well, well, first of all, uh, uh, was there anything else about my weird DLI's hot beer that uh, you wanted to share yet? Uh, it is Texas beer, North Richland Hills. It's very recent, but they're nice to know there's a new place. Where is Richland Hills? Dallas area. Dallas, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of breweries coming out of the Dallas area. Closer to Fort Worth, actually. I hate Fort Worth. <laughs> oh. North Richland Hills is closer to Fort Worth. Yeah, one of the same. Not really. I wouldn't. I, I live far. It's literally called Dallas hyphen Fort Worth. That that is that is true. Uh, I I I'm north of all of that. 
vest. I, be- I believe you are in the I core of the Metroplex. Uh, technically, I'm. What does Flower Mound count? I don't know. Uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, Yex. Uh, so it's up in Dallas. It's a new brewery, you say? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the. There's been a lot of discussion lately. Last year had a ton of new cigar companies come out, and their first release was like a forty dollars stick. Never made a cigar before, and and they came out of the gate swinging with you know forty, thirty five, forty dollars sticks, and uh, like I said, I paid twenty two bucks for four of these. What's the verdict over there? It is. Got a little malt presence. Uh, you asked me, Yaks, what I put the IBUs at. You guys know I can probably narrow it down within 1.8, 2.1 of the actual IBUs without using their fancy lab equipment. Uh, I'm going to put it mid-50s. That's not bad. At the most, there there is a, a hop component, but it's, it's not it's not giving me the burn. Um, it's 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 okay. Um, and I very rarely even bring up price point with beer, but I, I, I that's, don't, that's steep though. That's I don't know why, uh, you know, I, I have no problem paying six, seven bucks for a pint at a, at a, at a brewery, but well, pay- I mean, it's expensive to get all those theolo- theologians around <laughs> those hops blessing it before it gets into the hopinator. Yeah. He who walks behind the hops. Uh, maybe missed, missed, uh, some. it's okay. It's an okay beer and it's, it's not aggressive. Uh, it's a little more malty than I prefer, but it, it, it is countered with some nice, uh, hops. It, man, it's got kind of a dank aroma to it, but, uh, I don't see it with that much pepper coming through on the cigar. I don't see it having a problem, uh, competing with the, it, the cigar is going to be just fine. Um, if anything changes, I'll I'll report back as soon as I possibly can. It's so weird. I'm not getting that pepper. It is weird. It's very tasty. Uh, well, Tut, you uh, you couldn't wait to shove that beer can in your little Zoom square there. Yaks, tell us what Tut's drinking tonight. Yeah, I, I caught what you did there. That's fine. Look, what? you want to steal Crispy Boy's thunder? All you're gonna do is get wet, man. That's fine. That's fine. He is nope. having a Hellas Lager, the Crispy Business Lager, Real Ale Brewing. Real Ale. Crispy Real Business. Ale. Crispy Business. <laughs> crispy Business. Now, crispy Business, man. Now, uh, a while back, last year, we, we did a show where we featured uh, Billy Gould's uh, Rakia. And in the second portion of the show, we we uh, ran out of Rakia, so we were drinking beers. And Tut did drink a crispy beer that earned him the name Crispy Boy. Was yeah. this this was? But I don't remember it being crispy. I don't think business. it was this. I don't think I, I don't think I remember this can. No, it wasn't. I couldn't find it. Do you I thought it literally was. Crispy I don't. Boy. I don't remember. There yeah, was I think, the can, I think the beer's name was Crispy Boy. <laughs> we had endless fun with that. Well, for a while it there, still makes me giggle. For a few weeks, every I mean, we were calling to Crispy Boy pretty pretty regularly. Uh, so so now it's it's Crispy Business. Crispy Boy's up to some Crispy Business. That uh, sounds like yeah, like something like maybe you don't want to be. I don't involved. know any other way to be. 
Like, hey, I'm heading with Jason Tuttle to the horse racing track Friday night. I don't know, man. That guy's into some crispy business. <laughs> what 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 exactly is the crispy business lager, uh, Yak Boy? Uh, it's a Hellas style, it's a German style lager. Uh, four and a half percent says like twenty five IBUs. Like I said, it's made by Real Ale. We've we've enjoyed many Real Ale products. Fireman's Four, Axis IPA. So they know what they're doing when it comes to beer. Oh wait, do they do the Hans Pills? Yes. Yes. Ah, oh, that that used to be a okay. All right. Uh, man, for the life of me, I maybe it was Crispy Boy, or no, was it the extra Crispy Pilsner? Mm, I don't know. I thought I wrote it down. I guess I didn't. Well, that episode, because we were so obsessed with the Rocky, I didn't even, every episode I usually, oh, dude, West Lake View, or Alarm, it's the Crispy Boy Pilsner. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was Crispy, the Crispy Boy. That's why we. There, there is one from <laughs> Alarmist Brewing, Crispy Boy Pilsner. <laughs> dude, the name of the brewery even matches me. <laughs> Uh, how, how is crispy business, Ted? Oh man, it's, it's not that crispy, but it's delicious. I mean, it's, it's a good lager. Uh, it's, it's actually got a, a little hit of malt. Uh, other than that, it's clean and refreshing. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice. Well done, crispy boy. How's it going with your cigar? Oh yeah, it, it, yeah, it actually, it, I wonder if that that slight maltiness is drawing out that vegetable oil across the palate. Uh, I, I think it, it's played nice. It's out of the way. Okay. Why did you select the crispy business other than the fact you are a crispy boy and tonight's all about crispy business? Well, because uh, the very last scene in tonight's movie uh, – Oh, you know, there's a crispy character. She got into some crispy business. Yeah. And you know what? A good corn casserole usually has a nice crispy crust on top. It is true. It is true. Okay. All right. I see. I see where you're going here. I don't like it, but I, I see where you're going here. Uh, all right, Yak Boy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you are drinking? I am drinking stone. Hazy IPA, which they say is an, an ama- a amazingly hazy IPA. Okay. I've had Six, it. It's, it's very good. It is. I'm liking it. 6.7%. It's about 40 IBUs. Uh, of course, Stone Brewing, been around for one of, one of the original old craft brewers now in the U.S. Started back in Escondido, California. So when they use, and this one it is. The hops are not overpowering. Of course, it is hazy, so it does have a lot of citrus, floral components, but, you know, has some nice uh, use of the uh, El Dorado hops in there and uh, Azeka. So okay. I'm liking it. I don't think I've ever had a bad IPA from Stone. No, they've have yet to, as far as I'm concerned, to make one. But uh, Yeah, they, yeah, they're, they're they one- pretty good. They're one of the most consistent. Uh, why, why did you select the Stone Hazy IPA this evening? There's a giant demon on the can. And they are fighting a demon. He is a corn demon, but a demon nonetheless. Uh, he is a 
A corn demon. He's, He's a corn corny demon. demon, man. Corny demon. Uh, oh, corny demon. Beautiful corn. Beautiful <laughs> demon. I, I, I was having that thought watching this film when they when they called the CGI guys. Uh, hey, we're making a horror film, and uh, we want you to handle our. We want you to make our digital monster. Oh, awesome! What, what are we looking at here? Demon. Okay. Corn yeah. demon. I'm sorry. Corn demon. He's corn? a corny demon. No, no, he's a demon made of corn. Of corn. You know the yellow stuff. Oh. Then they hung up, and five phone calls later, they found somebody that would, a couple 15-year-olds that would make them a corn demon on their computer. Pretty much, and those 15-year-olds dropped the ball on some things, and I can't wait to get into it. All right, well, we're, we're almost there, uh, Tut. Uh, but, yeah, yeah that hazy IPA is pretty smooth. I imagine it's going just fine with the cigar. Fantastically. Okay, so all three pairings working well. Um, man, the really earthy. Uh, profile for me that earth and oak on the on the draw. Um, Todd, I'm not getting any of your mineral. I'm getting that's a hell really of- weird because I'm getting I'm getting nothing but oak and uh, vegetable oil. See, I don't know if I would know vegetable oil if I slipped in it. I've never put like raw vegetable oil in my mouth. Oh yeah, I, I cook with it. I mean, yeah, but do you stick your finger in it and lick it? Yeah, I've done that. No, really. Well, I know what it tastes like. I mean, I'm not just going to pour it in the pan without tasting it. Right, I can respect that. Right. Uh, well, hey, there's only one, uh, one TNCC lifetime member left to, uh, to discuss here, Yag Boy. What is the doctor? Oh, I'm sorry. The, the pepper just kicked in on that retro. Yeah. See, I'm not yeah. one to say I told you so, Tut, but. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to 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 do like Cade and steal Doc's thunder. Now I'm all wet. Hey. Uh, Yak Boy, what what the hell is Doctor drinking? Well, he's having a refreshing... Actually, I've got a little uh, antidote I'd like to share with you. It's it's anecdote. I I just, I know that. It just came out wrong. (laughs) You can just take your, you can just take you and your I-Core right out of here, pal. Yes, Yak Boy, I'm sorry. Me now? I mean, am yes. I good? Yes, you. I, I was just want, I want to make sure there wasn't going to be any more outbursts. We'll be good, I promise. Uh, the good doctor is having some delicious, refreshing basil oh, Hayden. Basil. Basil Hayden small batch. Kentucky, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Oh, Travis Tritt doesn't have a problem with that. No, nobody does. No, he shouldn't. Uh, man, that's been around for a while, yeah, boy, eh? Uh, surprisingly, the the company itself, that brand, was uh, started in '92. <laughs> that's what I get for acting like I know something. <laughs> Back in 1892, no, 1992. When Basil Hayden stepped off uh, the Mayflower and set foot. (laughs) Nope, started by a college kid in the 90s. Okay. Uh, It's good, though. It is very good. Yeah. Notes of white pepper, 
uh, orange peel, lemon, perhaps a touch oh, of vanilla. So good. Doctor, are you getting any uh, lemon peel or vanilla? Maybe a tiny little bit of vanilla. Yeah, the vanilla um, in there, dude. Are you drinking it with ice? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, sometimes sometimes the ice gives. I find with the whiskeys, the ice will release uh, a little bit of the vanilla. I am so vicariously drinking through the doctor right now. I'm like, oh yeah, he got that vanilla. He got that vanilla. <laughs> yeah, the ice, the ice definitely cuts it a little bit. I, I won't, I know mostly it's, we're about beers here, so I won't, I won't waste anyone's time. I just, uh. No, every, waste, every, uh, it. if it can get you drunk, it is welcome it. at the table. Well, that's oh. the philosophy that I live by, so I appreciate that. Uh, I just wasn't, for some reason, wasn't really in a, in a beer mood this evening. Um, and I, I figured it was less important uh, since I wouldn't be joining you guys and having a cigar. Um, so uh, there is a tie-in, of course, because as anyone who's a good whiskey drinker knows, that in order for a whiskey to be considered a bourbon, uh, the mixture of grains that the product is distilled into has to be 51% corn. Uh, so uh, there's just an interesting fact. The, you would not have that beverage in your hand if it were not for he who walks behind the rose. But in this case, he's science. the rose, but or he who <laughs> he who drinks four locos behind the Sefco. He who gets belligerent and falls down behind the rose. He who passed out in the second row. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. Uh, I don't I don't go to the hard stuff uh, too frequently. When I do, it's usually in small quantities. But for this evening, I I, I kind of a uh, Wanted some uh, Mr. Hayden. It's a, it's a good, smooth bourbon that uh, does okay. the That right. approves. Cheers. Uh, and he got the corn tie-in. Yeah, I do. He got the corn tie-in. No crispy, biz- funny business with the doctor. <laughs> uh, well, hey, uh, so we are with the cigar. I am uh, approaching about the first fourth in that's a slow burning guy it's taking its time which i like yeah but um man white pepper oak and earth uh and you know what Todd? there is maybe a little bit of nika mineral there creeping in behind that pepper um but uh construction wise it's i had to do a relight just because i was running my big mouth a little too much but uh man it's drawing really well and uh yeah construction's I, I, on point man that now that that pepper is opened up, it is just fucking blasphemy on that retro hill. It's uh, a nice retro hill. And I just want to point out again, I, I love this band. I, I love the matte black of it. I love the gold temperament stamp on it. It's it's a really cool band. And if you look, if you look how detailed it is behind the big D in the middle of the logo, there actually is like the yeah. the intricate. <laughs> so much pepper. <laughs> Oh God, my ears are on fire again. Oh God, my nose is on fire. All right, remember we're all dipshits here. Nobody call nine one one. Everybody just go. Uh, and, uh, well, yeah, and, just go your separate ways. And, She'll and, find and, him in and, the morning. And and. Uh, um. You uh, actually, are you are you enjoying the cigar? <clears throat> I am. I like it a lot. I uh, it's going good with the malts in my beer. Um, it that, is that I can see that. that the beer yeah. for me, like it's very light, it's very citrusy, so it, it's not really. I don't think it's it's interfering so much. But like I said that you know the pepper, 
has really stuck in there. And I mean, Devin is incredibly strong in the retro hill for me. So I'm liking that. Um, man, yeah, that malt is really opening up. There's actually underneath that oak and earth, there's actually kind of a, a really soft speaking of vanilla in the bur. There's a little kind of like vanilla cake kind of flavor coming through here, starting to develop more on that as it develops. Uh, I'll come in with some breaking news. Speaking of tasty cigars, boys, you know who makes some tasty ones? Damn, um, damn tasty ones. Oh man, that narrows it down. I'm going to get cigars up your ass. Maybe our friends at Drew Estate who don't put cigars up in your ass. They don't, but they do make cigars with Metallica. That's huh? true. And that's what I'm going to tell you boys about. Uh, Drew Estate has a new stick out right now and you will definitely want to put it up your ass. I mean, Get hey, your hands, get your, get your hands on it. You want to get your hands on it. Yes. Uh, dark, bold, and unapologetic. The blackened cigar M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted deepest dark. Well, this sounds all dirty now since I was talking about putting them up your ass. Uh, an uncharted journey into. Oh, I'm such a 12 year old. The, the deepest. Journey. The deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro blackened cigars, M81 by Drew Estate. It's rich. It's powerful, but it is beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso, that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. And uh Tut and I have both uh Tut, you've had way more of those than I have. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about I'm excited about the black and cigar. I think it's a cool line. It's it's a neat, it gives you a lot of things. Uh it takes a a, a blender like Willie Herrera to really make an all Maduro cigar interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is balanced and it's got some, it's got some complexity to it. Uh, I really have enjoyed, I, I wish I could get my hands on some more. Maybe time will tell, but, uh, yeah, go seek them out. It's a, it's a very unique thing. I have yeah, not. Have you guys had the blackened whiskey that's been on the market for a couple of years now? I have not. not. I, uh, I look for it every time at the liquor store. I'll, I'll certainly try it, but, uh, um, but yeah, it is a, it is a very interesting smoke. Well, let me send a text to Lars, see if I can't get us some of that. Uh, who? Oh, Lars? Yeah, he said, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I don't know what kind of crispy business you're up to with, with Lars, but, uh, I, and I'm like the doctor. I think some things I don't want to know. He's into some crispy business. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know what we're drinking. You know what we're smoking. Uh, now is time for a, a little segment we call here on the show, The Fire Pit. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we'd be discussing franchises a bit tonight, mainly due to tonight's movie selection, which is a, a long-running franchise of horror films, Children of the Corn. And uh, that time has come, my friends. Tut and Yaks, let's start the conversation off with you two because I... Well, I was going to say originally before we got together a week or so ago that Yak Boy couldn't shut the fuck up about this movie. 
But then Tut watched it, and now he can't shut the fuck up about it either. And I'm talking about one of the all-time cinematic franchises, the latest installment, The Batman. The Batman. Uh, Indeed. Good Lord, do you guys love this flick? And I would like you to tell our listeners, our viewers, and the doctor and I, uh, what makes this movie a winner in the Batman franchise? Why do you guys love this flick so much? I'm going to start with you, Yak Boy. Well, you know, ever since Burton came out with the 88 Batman with Keaton, you know, everyone was like, it's great, it's great. But, you know, as always with what happens with movies, and it's not that it's a continuing franchise, it's people take on a different take. And like so much else, you know, you you hit the 2000s and then everybody starts saying, you know, oh, we've got to make this movie. And then they're like, oh. We'll make the next one and it's going to be darker and grittier. And then they go to the next one. It's like, make it even darker and grittier. So, you know, you went through no I just want a black screen. There's no and then, so basically you get to this one and they literally just said, you know, no one was in questioning darker and grittier. In fact, they were like, we don't want light in this film. It was like, I want some guy with just a flashlight holding it up on the actor's face. But you, but, but no. you liked, you liked this approach. I did because it, you know, but the good thing about it was, is that they actually took that aspect. Sure. We're going to make it dark and gritty. It's it because he, here's the thing. Batman lives during the night. That's when he is, is he's up. Night. So why would, I mean, if it's daytime, you know, you basically see him waking up. I was but then, to it. Correct. But my other thing with the Batman is for once, much like the, you know, a lot of times in, with the, with the comic books, it's an actual mystery. They call him the world's greatest detective, but in most instances, in all the movies, he doesn't do a whole lot of detecting work. No. None of Burton's stuff, none of the Schumacher stuff. He did a little bit of it in the Nolan films. Just a tiny bit. Yeah, but wasn't that mostly like just eavesdropping? Like he had like computers like listening in on there, but like he didn't actually like have Pretty a magnifying glass. Yeah. In this one, does he actually like have a magnifying glass like looking for clues? Basically, yeah. I mean, he's got, he actually got a, 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 a magnifying glass camera. Little, that little Sherlock Holmes hat. Does he have a little Sherlock Holmes? Does he have a little pipe? The holes for the bad ears that he puts well, on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a, a pipe, but elementary, my dear Robin. <laughs> but you actually see him like collecting evidence and searching for things and you see him like reading and, you know, he is doing all that. You know, he's basically like for a good portion of it, he's like a kind of like, a you know, in the background, just trying to, you know, listen to people's conversations. He is looking through file cabinets. Ooh, OK. So, I mean, there's actual detective work. Sleuthing. And I'm like, thank you. Okay. But then uh, it just, I mean, and the, and you know, from that, it was also, you know, how, how the story itself is good because it, it, they make it a mystery. You had mentioned Yak Boy in many of our, uh, I'd say our talks about this film, but mainly you talking to me about this film and how great it is that as a fan of the comics your whole life, you felt like this uh, visually came the closest, uh, as, as far as 
feely, the feel of some of your favorite Batman comics. Uh, the, uh, you, you said the opening scene alone was one of the best, uh, you know, I guess it's like a lengthy opening, opening scene, you know, 20 minutes long or something of just, you were like, this is my Batman. This is the Batman I grew up with. They, they, they captured it. Like you didn't think it was capable of being captured. Uh, you know, why? What, what, what does that, what does it for you? Well, you know, I like, because there is, there is an over narration. So, you know, a lot of times that doesn't work well. I mean, depending, but in this instance it works. But then the other thing is you don't see like that, you know, the great thing is, is like, you know, people don't see the Batman. The majority of people don't see in, who live in Gotham never see Batman, but it also gives you that aspect, you know, in this intro of how the criminals see him and what they're doing. And it just, you know, you've got this, this background music, you've got this, you know, shadows. It's, it's, you know, it's nighttime in Gotham and it's not the good parts. So it's dirty. It's, you know, there's crime at dark alleys, all that, you know, and they play with that so well as this, he's giving his, you know, the Batman is giving his narration over the scene of Gotham as you're walking into this world. But then what I like about it, you know, and I use that term because the first time you see Batman, he's not jumping off a roof. He's not swinging in. He literally just walks in to the scene. So he walk, you know, you, you hear him walk you into it, into Gotham. And then the first time you see him, he comes walking out. And I just kind of like that. Okay. Uh, Tut, is this copacetic with your uh, experience as a viewer? Have you seen yes. it 50,000 times like Yagboy has? Maybe not, but I've seen it about 10,000 times. All right. Uh, Fair enough. I, I, I watch it on airplanes. I watch it, you know, wherever I'm at. It's, it, it's good. This, I was, this wasn't even on my radar. I knew that they were making it. I knew that it had been released and I was just like, I'm not interested in another Batman. I actually, that was my thought before I watched it. And this was the Batman movie that I didn't know I needed, and it was great. The first 20 minutes of this thing sets the tone so well. First of all, one of the things that's tough about the Batman is the same thing that's tough about the Punisher. Everybody loves the Punisher, but if you read the comics, half of the comic book of the Punisher, is just him surveilling something with a thought bubble up there. He's not even talking, it's just his thoughts. So how do you convey that in a movie that makes it interesting? Because Batman does the same thing. There's lots of comic books in there to where Batman is just on the trail of somebody thinking to himself. So how do you portray that? And Boys they over. nailed it. They nailed it in this first 20 minutes. First of all, I'm going to give you something about, about the soundtrack because the soundtrack is so important to this movie. It is just repetitive, monotonous. It is dark. It is like doom. And you got to repeat that loop for like the next three hours. And then you're, you're superimposing all of the visuals of Gotham that look just so nasty and Gotham-y that I love it. And then Batman's just talking to you. And you don't see. You're just hearing him. And you're seeing Gotham through this soundtrack. And it's just, it's just this beautiful, Beautiful montage of dark Gotham grittiness, 
And I don't mind Gotham being gritty because that's what Gotham is known for. So they, so, na- they nailed it. So there, not, there, there is an abundance. I, I was guessing earlier, there is an abundance of voiceover from Batman. Mm-hmm. And yes. Yeah. Batman is setting the tone. He's setting the story. He's is setting. That a, is that a first for Batman films? A voiceover? I can't think, I think of, so. I don't, I can't think of any of the I other ones. I can't remember that they ever yeah. did it. So, and then another thing that, uh, that just really just kind of got, just kind of got me jazzed is that it's based off of kind of like influenced by the year one series. So it's Batman learning. He's Batman coming out of the shadows to start helping the police. The police hate him. And when you first, when you first see him walk to a, through a crime scene, it's loaded with Gotham's finest, and they're all looking at this guy like he is a freak, and not just like you're a freak in a bat costume. No, they they got it when the actors looked at him. You could tell the disdain for this dude, and I I, I just I loved it, and the acting across the board. Uh, I know what's his name gets all the credit for his role as Penguin. He did an excellent job, and they've got a new spinoff coming off the who's that Farrell? Colin Farrell. Uh, They've got a new spinoff called The Penguin that's coming out, so that's going to be cool. I can't wait to see that. But, uh, man, Paul Dano as Riddler, just this diminutive guy. And when there's this scene with him in a diner and the camera's zooming in on him and he's looking directly at the camera, he's such a diminutive, I mean, just kind of like this little, you know, cleric dude, and he exudes menace. He exudes just vile menace like he's gonna fuck you up in a smart intellectual way that you're not gonna see coming and i i i was like wow man and this is the same guy that held his own against daniel day lewis i mean hey dude it's 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 i think he's the unsung hero of this entire film okay yeah he certainly did in there will be blood as the the child preacher uh he, he certainly waiting for him since then to to do to kind of have a breakout yeah i i honestly I, don't think i've seen i don't think i've seen paul dano in anything since there will be blood uh which he was so so damn good in and like like you said Tut, to to stand toe to toe with daniel day lewis especially in that role uh is is really uh remarkable and I, I, I'm guessing that uh, you guys also approved of Robert Pattinson as as the Cape Crusader. Yes. Originally, uh, I did not. You know, it's one of those when they said he's going to be Batman. I'm like, well, I'd also, I mean, I'd seen, you know, everyone always thinks about him. You know, they, Twilight, Harry Potter, but they don't you actually go and look at some of his other films that he's done in between those times and Batman. And he's done some very serious work. And you're like, okay. I mean, he's got the chops. He's obviously got the acting chops. So, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I liked him as Batman. I thought his Batman was believable and credible. Uh, I'm interested to see if they can develop the Bruce Wayne persona because that was my only critique is that there wasn't the Playboy Bruce Wayne persona that I kind of like to see. But it's early in Batman's career. He might not have, you know, there was a scene in the Nolan Batman where Alfred is telling him, you need to, you need to develop this excuse for why you're all bruised and stuff. So develop the Playboy stuff. So maybe he just isn't there yet. I thought that if there was one critique that I would have is that, you know, Bruce Wayne wasn't Bruce Wayne enough, but his Batman was pretty damn good. Was there ever a scene where they're like, Bruce, what are all those bruises? And he's like, 
last night I got into some crispy business. It's crispy down in the spelunking caves now. Yes, yes, doctor. I just, I just have a question. Um, so, from what from you from what you were saying, Todd, about the the beginning with the interaction with Batman and the cops. So this this move this iteration of Batman doesn't deal with the origin story. Nope. Okay, interesting. I like that. We all know it. Why why would we? Yeah, need I kind of I kind of like that. I aspect. don't I don't think. Cody, am I glossing it over? I don't think there was a pearl drop scene. Nope. Yeah, well, and that's I, usually I, I, that's I'm usually my versed. pet peeve. I'm yeah. not as well versed in in like the obviously the the late '80s Batman. They they have a flashback to it, but they don't really deal with it. And where with Batman begins, it's you know like two thirds of the movie almost. I kind of gave up on comic book movies about 15 years ago. So uh, what I'll say this, what you guys are saying about it, I, I kind of felt like Cade and I, I correct me if I'm wrong in this damn near three hours long. It, it is. Yes. Uh, but it, it's one of those where it works. You guys have been interested it, in it, it and I had no interest before and you guys have now made me want to see it. So you've, you've done a good selling job. Every time I every time I say, Doctor, that I just can't do a, a three hour movie anymore, something will come along. Like last one was uh Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And boy, that's a three hour movie that felt like ninety minutes. It was so good. And the last hour went by, it seemed like in a matter of minutes, it was just so off the chain and just so exciting and and inventive and clever and fast paced. And yeah, these boys have sold me on too. They, they especially sold me on it because I I'm going to be say something very unpopular here. Uh, the, the Nolan films are, are very beloved by Batman fans for the most part. And I could never get into the, the Nolan Batmans because one of the main reasons why Gotham, it looked like downtown Dallas Fort Worth. It was very clean, generic skyscrapers. When he was driving around on this on the city streets on his bat cycle, it looked like literally I was in downtown Dallas. Gotham had no personality in those films. Well, and that was strictly on Nolan. He wanted to make it look like a real city, like they look, you know, like you would be in yeah, Dallas. But, but, but I think to sell or even New York. I think to sell these, these eccentric villains and this guy in this, in this rubber suit, it starts with Gotham. You have to create, you have to create an environment where this isn't going to be like I walk into a Sephora with my wife to get some makeup and there's, there's a dude that's talking like a penguin. They don't have Sephora in Fort Worth, dude. In, in, oh, there's Sephora's in, in Fort Worth, pal. In Nolan's defense. He is the rebuttal to Burton's Gotham that is just, you know, as extreme as it can be. Yeah, and he went in so my So he went the other way. He went the other way and he went way too far in my it was way too sterile of a a, a setting for such a it's, it's not that big of a hang up for me, but I, I can appreciate that argument. Okay. Well you you boys, hopefully you you folks listening, uh if you were on the fence uh it is you know 
uh, as as a film franchise, there were what four, uh, you know, four film, the two Burton films and the two Schumacher films, and then they took a break, and then we got three Nolan films, and then we got the Affleck Batman's that came out in the in the DC universe the last yeah. few years. So and then, even that nineteen sixty six Adam West Burt Ward portion uh, of it. That definitely has its charms. Uh, I'm a big fan of the old 60s TV well, show. And I'll, I'll say this about the new movie is if you, I mean, they take so many style choices with the bat suit. But one of the great things is, is they actually do take influence from the, the Adam West Batman too. Uh, the mask reminds me a little bit of the, the West mask with the smaller ears. Yes. And, and that, but it was, it's also within the nose. If you go look at Adam West, yeah. That so they 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 reference many things all in one. It's it's really neat. Holy crispy boy, Batman! Calm down, Robin. <laughs> Does Batman have a teenage ward named Crispy Boy in this one? The Crispy Boy one. Well, he is young Batman. I think at this point, the Robin would probably be like one year old at most. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, there there's room for sequels, obviously. Okay. Well, like I said, it's a, it's a big franchise and, uh, I'm glad to see that the, that it's on the upswing according to two voices I, I trust when it comes to, to, to flicks. Uh, Tut, speaking of pop culture, massive franchises and current stuff, I believe you are the only one of us. Well, we've all followed it up to this season. I believe you're the only one that's currently watching the the third season of the Mandalorian on Disney plus. Uh, when you think film franchises, star Wars has to be out there as, as one of the biggest, um, man, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first two seasons of the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. And that's coming from a guy who has not enjoyed a lot of the star Wars output since the original three films, uh, episodes, Four, five, and six. Um, I, I did not care for any of the prequels, one, two, or three. The Fudgy Menace, Attack of the Clones, and whatever that other one was. And then I, I, man, there was some okay stuff in the, the Force Awakens and those other two, but nothing that, uh, and then I know they went on to huge, uh, Clone Wars cartoons and everything else, but the Mandalorian to me, really brought back what I loved about star Wars. Um, and then they, I felt like they kind of shit on that with that horrible Boba Fett series. Yeah. Uh, why do we need that? We have the Mandalorian. Why do we, I, I gave up after about three episodes of Boba Fett. I didn't need to see some old guy fighting Tuscan Raiders for an hour, every episode. <sighs> Um, so I, honestly, that, that, that Boba Fett show kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And so, uh, I'm looking to you, Tut. Does the Mandalorian get things back on track or? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mandalorian is good, wholesome Star Wars fun that, that you love to, love to see. Um, I always have a love hate relationship with Goru the child. Uh, Grogu the child because, you know, it's all, oh, cutie little, little Yoda dude. Yeah. But this season, you know, he's not, he's not the focal point so far. Uh, he's, he's, he's still there kind of in the background. Has he, it's has, all he grown, about, has he grown up at all? Is he like a teenage no, Yoda now? No, no. no. I mean, they, uh, 
the Yoda species ages incredibly slowly in comparison. Oh, because I was thinking that'd be cool if he like had a bedroom on the slave one. He was like slamming his door and playing his music loud, like smoking his cigarettes, <laughs> like smoking a smoking a joint, smoking a dube. Like I was, I was thinking maybe a little teenage Yoda. No, no they're not gonna they're not gonna pull the Groot from the Marvel franchise. Hmm. He's in there uh, but, listening uh, to the latest release from Max Rebo and just. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No way, man. He's into Dagobah death metal at that point. <laughs> if you play, if you play this Cantina band record while watching The Wizard of Oz, it syncs up perfectly. <laughs> but no, it's fun. Uh, there's some episodes that are that are cool that are just like uh, you get to explore some more outer realm territories. There's new visuals. Uh, it's just you know, there's a fun little. There's one episode that's kind of a side shoot where there's. It's kind of like a side quest, but you get to see new new lands. Uh, there is some controversy because I'll go ahead and drop a little spoiler. Uh, Jack Black and Lizzo make an appearance as one of the deals. And uh, man, Jack Black, I, I, I don't have a problem with, but I do think that he's, that, that he's better suited for some roles. Uh, Lizzo needs work, lots of lots of work. Uh, to improve but you know she swung for the fence so there's that but she's she's not very very uh, she just needs improvement she needs but the episode itself to the credit of how strong the writing is it's a fun episode and you know there's a mystery involved and they're solving this stuff and it's just it's really cool if you like uh katie sackoff from uh Battlestar Galactica Starbuck fame and her role in this as uh, Bo-Katan. She's front and center in it. Uh, there's a lot of cool, if you like the, the Mandalorian religion and the Mandalorian mythos, there's a lot of stuff centered around that for a show called The Mandalorian. Uh, it, it's just, it's fun Star Wars. It's It makes you happy for the franchise again. And there's a lot of stuff that comes at, that has come out. The Boba Fett one definitely I'm not a fan of the Kenobi stuff. I hated the last or the last two movies, the Ryan Johnson stuff or whatever. Uh, I just, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to kind of get down on Star Wars, but the Mandalorian is really kind of, and it saves, it saves the franchise for me. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Um, and season three keeps it, keeps it in the ballpark. Okay. All right. Well, I won't let the, uh, the travesty of Boba Fett uh, influenced my my viewing because uh, yeah I did like those first two seasons quite a bit. Um, all right, well tonight's film, uh, 2023's Children of the Corn, is the latest in- entry into one of horror's most extensive franchises. Can you believe there's nine of these things? No, I can't. Uh, and I, yeah. I got to tell you, not to quibble the point, but I thought there were ten. Well, I, I believe, I'm sorry, I believe this is the 10th, maybe. Okay, okay. Um, the nine or 10, it's still crazy that they, they be, and as big a fan as I was of the first That's one. wild. There are some of these that I have not, I have not seen. Uh, at, at a certain point, I, I gave up. We'll, and we'll get more into that when we, when we, uh, soon get into tonight's film. But I thought I would bring this question to the table tonight. We're talking about Star Wars, we're talking about Batman, we're talking about Show of the Corn. I was wondering, what are you guys, you guyses, I think is the proper, uh, English. What is you, you what is you guys's, uh, top five film franchises of all time? And I, 
I, I set this up with the only caveat being they had to have at least four films. At least four films. Could gotcha. be a franchise. You had to be four. And I want you guys to rank your top five, what you think are the most solid film franchises. And this could be a, a, a broad umbrella uh, pick like Marvel that would encompass, you know, all the, the Marvel universe from the Avengers films to Thor, you know, you put it all under Marvel. Marvel's my number one franchise. You could be a little more specific. You could be Spider-Man. I think the, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, uh, well, there weren't four of those, but you know, you could, you could say Spider-Man overall throughout yeah. its all its incarnations, uh, three, four different actors. You know, you could be like, that works for me. But the only, the only, uh, qualifier I had was that there had to be four just to kind of help narrow it down a little bit. And I, I, for me, I think four gets you more into franchise territory than, than three. Um, what are your top five film franchises of all time? Um, anybody want to go? Can, first? I, can I, I go I, first? I, I want to go first. Yeah. You know what? Uh, t- well, you start. I'm, I'm not leaving. Okay, you guys are, you guys are I'm so not much stepping more first into the history of movies. I just want to. I am not stepping away while you start, Todd, because I'm disinterested. I just need another beer. The table's yours. Go ahead, my friend. Okay, my number one. Uh, the way. Well, first of all, let me let me say how I I approach this list. I approach this list as you had to originate as a movie. So I don't have any of the Batman's. I don't have any of the Marvels uh, because those are comic books. I don't have any of the books. So that took out, you know, like the Godfather that's originated as a book, uh, the Harry Potters, which is, you know, you got to talk, a if you're talking massive franchise, you know, the Harry Potters that originated as a book, I've tried to keep it as stuff that was movies. Uh, so my number one, and I hope I, I hope I didn't slip and one of these things actually originated in some <laughs> Oh, I but you know what, that's a, I, I, uh, I want to credit you for, for, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, encumbering yourself with that rule, Tut, because that didn't occur to me, and that that does make it uh something that you would have had to put more thought into. So, uh, kudos to you for for approaching it that way. Thank you. Uh, okay, so number one is Star Wars. Uh, it is um three fifty years of uh society altering. Cinema Gold. I mean, there's been countless movies. It basically originated the uh, straight-to-merchandise or the merchandise copyrights of, of the toy line, lunchboxes, and everything that you can put a Star Wars level on. Uh, and it came from a dude who basically ripped off Romeo and Juliet and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, I mean, it is his concept. It is his, his, his child, and it just spawned it has influenced everything i mean there's but, but, been games made out of it it's just but Tut, it's huge that everything you said is undeniable but that, is it your favorite i'm that, not i'm not saying i'm not saying that's that's what i, that's, I would that's not my list is well yeah i would put it i would put it star wars as my favorite franchise Okay, because I, I, yeah, there's no denying it's it's impact. Now the rest of now the rest of this stuff isn't my favorite. I'll just go ahead and say that right now. Well, I, I was so I misinterpreted that part of the list. I wasn't really interested in what you felt like was the general. I, I meant like, well, what are your personal? You're going to get 
what my general is now. I, I was curious what your personal top five to you, but you, uh-huh. but you, you're speaking more for society at large. Uh, just what I feel, what I feel, because I'm sure that everybody defines success in a different way. Okay. Like, uh, my, my second, uh, second most successful franchise would be Godzilla. Uh, Godzilla has 36 films. Uh, it is been ever since the fifties and there's still, it's still going today on Netflix. You have all this anime around it. I mean, you still got, I think King of the Monsters is about to come out or there, or it's in development. I mean, Godzilla, it's just the American Godzilla has three movies based on its reboots. I mean, there's something about this stupid monster that everybody loves. Personally, I'm a fan of King Kong, and I think if you took Godzilla's breath weapon away, King Kong would beat his ass. But, you know, I'm a little bitter about that since the last movie. Uh, but it's it's a cool franchise. It, it's something that, like, I mean, God, rock songs have been called Godzilla. And it's just something that permeates pop culture, not only through America, not only through Japan, but throughout the world. So I'll put Godzilla as my number two. And just so you know that there is a French metal band that is named Gojira. (laughs) Odd combination, but it works. And I like Tut giving the BOC, the Blue Easter Cold, a little shout out there. (laughs) Uh, Number three is going to be Halloween. Uh, And this would be in my top five favorite franchise for me personally. Uh, Mainly because it launched an entire genre. I mean, you could sit there and say, well, what about the Jason franchises? What about the Freddy franchises? You know, would they have been more impactful or were they influenced by the Halloween? And I would argue that, yes, they were. And I think that Halloween has pretty much, even though the last movies are are mega disappointments, uh, there is something about Michael Myers that captures the imagination of, uh, the world. And you see that in all the merchandising that, cause Myers' face is on everything. Uh, and so, and again, this comes from just a guy with a script and he launches this mega, mega successful franchise just out of this own brain machinations, his own brain box. It's amazing. Uh, so that's my, I, I'm actually really liking your perspective on this, not coming from a, 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 a strictly personal standpoint, but a, a global audience view. I, I'm with you. Number four. Number four is Rocky, the Rocky franchise. Uh, I, th- again, I you thought, have, thought he might come up. Yeah. Again, you have an actor who wanted to do some stuff. He made, I mean, basically started writing his own shit and he blossomed into Rocky. So not only do you have all the Rocky films, but you have to put, uh, the Creed films in there as well. There's three Apollo Creed films as well. Uh, so this Rocky franchise is like, what? That was in the seventies. So another 50 years of Rocky. And it was like, you don't, you can walk up to anybody in the same, anybody in the street and be like, uh, Italian stallion. They might be like, huh? Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. Everybody knows it. I mean, it's just, and the, is the probably, a lot of people get a little grief on it, but Rocky Four, which might be cheesy, is one of the most iconic '80s movies of all times to me, and it was—it's actually my favorite Rocky movie of all time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm a big fan. 
Rocky goes to number four. And it continues to influence Tut because I literally have a beer on tap at the pub that is called I Must Break You. (laughs) And it is a Russian Imperial Stout. I was going to ask if it was a Russian Stout. Okay. All right. (laughs) It has to be. Uh, Tut, what's your number five? This should be interesting. And number five was really, really hard uh, because I started thinking about it like the Matrix. The Matrix would have qualified because technically there are four films, but that fourth one was such a dog turd that it's hard to count that. I stopped and, after the dog turd that was the second one. The the rave, the rave scene in the, the second? The Bud Light commercial underground, the rave scene. I, I thought they, you know, I, I agree with Cade because I literally thought they were going to redeem themselves after the raid when he goes to meet the architect who explains everything to him, which gave me the thought that, wait a second. So they're still in the matrix. It's a matrix within a matrix. No, it was rave world the whole time. This sucks. <laughs> this sucks ass. It's, it's undeniable the influence <laughs> that the matrix had has had like especially as like in terms of uh movie video uh via uh video effects uh film effects it just it revolutionized a lot of green screen work that we're using today uh but i i couldn't do it uh i thought about james bond but then i realized that was actually a book so i i, I got the bonds out of there mm-hmm. uh i almost went with the terminator because Oh, dude, that that's a franchise, but I couldn't do it. It is a franchise, but there's only two good ones. All right, so here's one that it's not close to my heart, but I think a case can be made, the Fast and Furious franchise. I think that is one of the top five successful franchises out there because they keep making these dog turd movies. They keep selling multi-million, hundreds of millions of dollars and there's literally only one good movie of the franchise, and that is Tokyo Drift, to where it's the one that Vin Diesel isn't in except for the last ten seconds. Uh, but you know, this this they 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 saved an entire line of crappy cars. You have all these Nissans and Hondas that are considered classic cars now because of this shit. And they're horrible cars with really crappy sounding engines. And yet this entire franchise saved these companies. And not only, not only did it save the automobile industry, it saved fucking Vin Diesel. That's the only reason why Vin Diesel works. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you pick this franchise? Is there, I've never seen any of these movies. Is there an entry where they're driving around a souped up Subaru jumping over bridges and stuff? I mean, maybe. All right. That tracks. <laughs> tracks through but anything it wants to. I don't. I don't understand this franchise. I don't understand the appeal. Me. I understand like a couple of movies, but I don't understand seven and eight of these things. And well, to I be don't fa- understand how the how they've made, how they've popularized yeah. these little rice burner engines that just sound yeah. like horrible stuff. Well, to be fair, Ty. At least two two hundred fifty to three hundred million of those box office receipts and home video sales uh, directly went were could be linked to my cousin BC Erlenspiel in Wooster, Ohio. Uh, he he is by far the world's largest. Uh, I think if, I I think if he were doing this list, it would probably come in uh, number two 
right after his beloved Rush Hour films with Jackie Chan and but I think they only <laughs> I think they only made three of those. Um uh, you, need Mike, to ask, you need to ask me see what his thoughts are on Tokyo Drift. I'd, I would be interested. Okay, I'll, I'll wait till you can ask him someday. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really don't want to go down that that wormhole with BC. Actually, I think I have at some point, and uh, they they don't make enough uh, theological hops to uh, get me through those those late night talks. Uh, my ears were burning for an entirely different reason. I set them, I set them on fire with lighters. Um, but anywho, uh, okay. Well, Tut, that is a approach that I did not anticipate, but I'm, I'm with the doctor. I respect one that you took, uh, pre-existing literary works out of the equation. That was not a prerequisite to, to the list. I also kind of dig the fact that you didn't, uh, you looked at it outside of your own little, world and like you know especially with the godzilla i mean yeah you know a a huge portion of the world's population would that be their go-to number one without a doubt um okay good good on you man good uh good stuff uh anybody else want to go i'll take a stab at it um doctor the floor is yours just uh so i did not take the approach that tut did um these were all personal um and I, I will go ahead and apologize. I, I did not actually rank them. And I, I don't think we want to wait, waste time for me to do that now. So I'll just go through them. Sure. Um, I will point out just an interesting thought. It's just kind of funny how the mind works when you first, when I saw your comment that it needs to have at least four films, my immediate thought without taking any time to think about it was, oh, well, that eliminates so much. It's just going to be horror franchises. And then when you start thinking about it, you're like, no way, man. Everything's there. There's so few things that only have three films. Most of them have four. Yeah. So uh, kudos to you. And and uh, that was a that was my bad on thinking that initially. Um, but just uh, personally, uh, as far as franchises, um, the first two that popped in my head were horror franchises. So uh, again, this is in no order for me. Uh, but Halloween, um. And it's interesting how when there is a, a true franchise, uh, my opinion, the last watchable Halloween movie was made 25 years ago uh, with the Halloween H2O flick. Uh, everything after that to me sucks. Uh, the the Rob Zombie movies, and I think I'm on record on this last trilogy, they're all shit. But uh, when you take in one, two, three, four, and and I know, Cade, you and I are big fans of part six, particularly the producer's cut. Hey, that's just, and even if you want to say remove Halloween three, which it's called Halloween, so it's part of the franchise, but if you take it out and just say the Michael Myers of Wah, then still one, two, four are just fantastic fucking masterpieces of, of eighties horror, late seventies, eighties horror. So, uh, segues right into Friday the 13th. Um, again, they're not all great. In fact, some of them are shitty, but for the most part, Particularly, and, and, and one and two will grow on you. It's funny because it's a series where Halloween one and two are two just, you know, uh, you know, I, I again, I'm, I'm looking for a word here, quite essential, I guess, uh, horror movies. Whereas in Friday the 13th, one and two really aren't. Two kind of grew on me, but when you get into the eighties and you get three, four, five, six, seven, we did a show on five. Uh, I know eight's a guilty pleasure with Principal McCulloch, McCullough. 
uh, you know, thanks for the list, doctor. <laughs> the Rotary Club was closed this evening. Otherwise, I wouldn't be bothering myself with this circle jerk of a sideshow. Uh, but uh, so uh, Friday 13th, definitely. Um, then we get into interesting. Um, it's still personal for me. So, again, no order. Uh, because the initial three Star Wars movies, which, of course, we now know are parts four, five, and six. And that's what they were called then as well. But for, you know, the first 20-plus uh, years of my life, it was it was Star Wars, not A New Hope. It was just called Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Um, because I had all the toys, uh, loved those movies so dearly. Um, I'm going to put Star Wars, if I had to rank them, who knows, it could be number five. It just happens to be third as I'm talking about them. Sure. Um, Prequels, uh, I thought The Phantom Menace was a piece of shit. I thought the other two, Attack of the Clones and and, uh, Revenge of the Sith, they they grew on me over time. I was okay with those. Um, Particularly, I like the the, uh, Scottish actor, Ian McDiarmid, uh, uh, reprising his role as the Emperor in that movie. I thought thought that was kind of cool. And and it was just cool the backstory was done. So so two of the three prequels worked for me. Um, As far as just just sticking with the cinematic releases and and not the stuff that, you know, Tut was talking about with the the streaming shows and everything and all that. Just the the nine theatrical films. but but I'll be I'll be I'll go so far as to without doing the streaming stuff. I think total in the in the French Star Wars umbrella franchise, we're looking at eleven films if you count like Rogue One, uh, the Han Solo film. Uh, the, I mean those are those are feature films under the Star Wars uh, name. timeline. The main timeline. The name it brand. Be, it must be this corn beverage I'm helping myself to because I actually liked Rogue One. And oh yeah, no, no, I, I was okay. I forgot about them. I totally forgot about it. Uh, I, so. I had considered uh, Star Wars on my list, uh, like you two guys, but I was like, all right, eleven. I just went films, not not series, and I was or cartoon or animated stuff, and I was like. Four out of eleven, I I I enjoyed the the original three and then Rogue One. That's the those are the only four out of the eleven films that I I liked. So that it didn't it did not make my list, but I can definitely see where uh, just on the the strength, especially if you did get something out of the the those two prequels, Doctor. I I, I definitely see where that made you. I, that doesn't surprise me that it made your list. I'd go I'd go five because I liked Revenge of the Sith, but Attack of the Clones was was a eh. Uh, but then you know we have to we have just to not I, and I don't want to belabor the point, but if we look at Halloween as a franchise, uh, the last six movies are shitty. The the pre, in my opinion, the, this previous the, the this most recent trilogy I thought was shitty. Uh, Cade, you and I, I think we'll probably go to our graves not watching either of those Rob Zombie movies again unless we're forced to at gunpoint. No, but, but I, I, you know what, even Halloween five as misaligned and, and nuts as it was has its charm for me over the years. And even, sure. and, and H2O had it, had its, had its positives and, uh, Halloween six has definitely, um, matured well in my mind, both cuts. So, you know, there's, 
one, two, three, four, five, six H2O. I mean, there's seven, seven Halloween. That's seven, that's, that's seven and then six that are shitty from resurrection on. So yeah. So, oh, oh. but that, that's seven, seven films in a franchise that I can watch and enjoy. And I, you know, same with Friday, the Friday 13th, there's at least seven gems in there as well for me. So, okay. What was your fourth one, doctor? Uh, so the last two are, are going to be similar in that there's only four movies in each. Um, and, uh, well, I won't, it'll be easy to guess. Uh, three are fantastic and the fourth one is not. So Jaws. Indiana Jones. Oh, Indiana Jones. Um, I am interested to see what they're going to do with an 80-year-old uh, Harrison Ford and a 79-year-old John Reese davies uh, I was glad to see Sala in the trailer. I, I don't I know love, yeah, I don't I know love he the wandered out there on his there. way to the Walgreens to buy some Icy Hot for his elbows. Or it was I was going to be like, hey, Indy, what's in the leather bag? My urine. <laughs> you. It's a piss sack. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> It's called a catheter, Sala. Uh, so, but hey. Boy, um, that, that, that fourth one was so bad. It was. Granted, but. I, I even, I even thought, I, I I'm a, an outlier. Even as a kid, the, the last crusade, the third one didn't do much for me. Oh, okay, so I liked it. Come on. That was, that was there. cute. Um, criteria was four movies. Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. I saw it in the theater. I thought it sucked. I tried to rewatch it once a few years back. I got about 20 minutes into it and stopped. So it's a piece of shit. Yeah. But is Shia LaBeouf going to be in the in the new one? No. Good. Don't know and don't care. But when it comes to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and I do like Last Crusade. So sure. those to me are three great ones there. Interesting. Okay. Kate, uh, you were right on, on Jaws. Um, you know, obviously – that fourth one's fun. It, it is for you and me. That's a guilty pleasure. Uh, yeah. we can, we've talked about that before, but for different reasons. The first one's a masterpiece. The second is one of the most underrated sequels. And I think we did a show on part three, right? On, on the great part three. So, we did. so yeah, there, there's a theme. Yes, there. we did, nephew. <laughs> uh, a lot of those things are in the 80s. And uh, that's uh, that's not uh, coincidental. And uh, to you, Tut, I will just say, uh, I built the park, I put the animals in it, I sell the tickets, move the fish. Uh, so, so there the you fish. have it. Which, hey, that leads me to my number one uh, fr- film franchise, the Iron Eagle franchise. I uh, No, of course not. Hey, 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 we have a dinner here. James Brown in here. Come on, Kathy. Let's go. Start dancing, Kathy. Okay, uh, very, I, you know, I, I, I know you guys so well. I didn't see Tut going where he went. And, uh, Doctor, I, I thought I could probably guess four out of your five. And I think I got three. So I, I, I was caught off guard by Indiana Jones. And, um, I didn't realize that, uh, you, you had any fondness for any of the prequel Star Wars. So I'm, I'm learning something tonight. Okay. Good list. Good list, my friend. Okay. Well, hey, folks, uh, real quick, great lists. Uh, before we get into the, the final two here, real quick, I am almost done with my cigar. So I want to check in real quick with you guys. I am, uh, got maybe about two inches left in this, this sucker. Oh God, I haven't even got down to the band yet. You, you were talking 
uh, it makes true. it makes true. sense. You, you were talking quite a bit. Um, boy, that retro hail is the star of the show on this thing. Um, the combination the combination of pepper, mineral, and I don't know if you've gotten any of that kind of vanilla uh, essence on the back end of that retro. Man, it's so good, and they really balance out the the more kind of bolder oak and and earth on the on the draw. Uh man, I've I've smoked quite a few diesels over the years and I, I I'm really enjoying this one. You guys liking it? Oh yeah. A lot. Like you, yeah, I like that pepper. I I do like I mean I wouldn't say that, you know, there's a that vanilla, but there is a definite sweet component. I like that. Just very mild. So you're getting some sweetness out of there. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm not getting the sweetness, but everything I am getting is working quite well for me. Tut? Same. I think that pepper, like you said, once, it's really weird that I couldn't get it, and then all of a sudden about that halfway mark, it just kind of blasted, and there it was, and it hasn't, it hasn't gone anywhere since. Um, I don't, not getting sweetness, but I, I'm still getting a little bit of that vegetable oil type deal across the palate. It's a it's a good it's a good cigar. Um, not exactly in my wheelhouse, but you know I appreciate what it's giving me. Okay, well you smoke away, Tut. I'll come back to it after uh, we're done here with our little exercise in uh, film franchise top fives. I believe it is Yak Boy's turn. Uh, Yak Boy, did you take the doctor approach of your your just your personal top five, or did you put some parameters on it like uh, Tut did? I just took my top five. There you go. Okay, lay it on us, pal. And, of course... Did you rank them according to your favorites? Yes. Okay, give us your number five first. My number five. All right, my number five actually is really old in comparison. It's the... And, of course, this goes... It's uh, all the way back. It's from a book uh, by Dashiell Hammett most notably known for writing the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. But his other book, which of course is named The Thin Man. Yes, our, our high school nickname for the good doctor, The Thin yeah. Man. Okay. But uh, the original film came out around uh, 32, 33, uh, just after Prohibition. Impound. And it is, it's, it's a murder mystery, you know, just like the Maltese Falcon was. But it was so popular at the time that they ended up making another movie. And then they made another movie. And then they made another movie. And so by the time they got to the early 40s, they had made five based off the those two characters. And I was, you know, I, I watched all of them. Because I was, all, you know, I, I watched the Maltese Falcon, you know. And you know, you always hear people say or reference these films. Sure. And but. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to watch that. And so I did. And I'm like, oh, my God, this thing is fucking awesome. And I ended up watching all of them. And I'm just like, to this day, it is still one of my fa- – it is my one of my favorites. Wow. But, I mean, it's not like – because it's just – it's – they're, you know, back in those days, you know, in the early days of the cinema, you know, between 1900 and 1950, when people were really just beginning to utilize film, sound – and all the, the various techniques. Sure. It just, it was just a good murder mystery. So, and Dashiell Hammett was a good writer. So, I mean, you know, he, he got put on the, I mean, he didn't, 
write nearly as many books, but he got put on that same level as like Agatha Christie or uh, Doyle. Yeah, Mickey Spillane. Yeah. Uh, okay, man, I didn't see that coming, but you're right. Uh, I actually took a film noir class, uh, film class in college, and it opened my eyes to that whole world of, you know, from uh, Maltese Falcon, um, uh, one, uh, Double Indemnity, uh, but it even uh, Touch of Evil, Orson Welles, uh, Charlton yeah. Heston masterpiece. But then it even kind of went into how those films influenced uh, things like Risky Business with Tom Cruise. If you really yes. break it, if you really break it down, that is a classic film noir. You have the femme fatale, Rebecca De Mornay, like all the ingredients are there. Uh, man, okay, I'm excited. To, okay, we're going. All right, what's your number four? I'm going to go with I, I. I threw Raiders in there. Because kind of like the thing with the Thin Man, Raiders, it wasn't that they, Raiders was coming up with some sort of new idea. I mean, he didn't, the whole, you know, all those movies. There had been previous movies made about, you know, the the world traveler, explorer, buried treasure type of thing. But I think, you know, between Spielberg and Lucas, they gave it a new life and brought it into what we now expect. because. I mean, you wouldn't have things like National Treasure and all the other things that just keep coming out, which everyone just goes, oh, it's just a new Raiders. Well, well, yeah, it is, but that's kind of the point. It It's so immersive. I mean, they're still making movies. Like we said, they got a new one coming out. Yeah. People still want that. And, you know, yeah. and they have tried. They try to do a television show. Obviously, you know, with the fourth one, they tried to bring in a oh, younger person. Well, Young Indy, I did like it, but, and, you know, they even had for a short period like Marvel, there's an Indiana Jones comic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like it. People really like it. It's just, I, I like that style. I like the storytelling. Okay. Okay. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is the MCU. Just all of it. It all fits. I was going to be shocked if you did not put Marvel in there somewhere. <laughs> And I was just uh, like, you know, I mean, yeah, you could go Thor. Thor has four movies, but I would only put it after all of the Thor movies. You know, it, only but, the fourth one, not the fourth one, but the third one, Ragnarok, is the best. But but I, I, I totally foresaw you just putting it all under the name of Marvel because you, you are the most comic-centric friend I have. And how could you not see these, oh, yeah. these stories and characters you grew up your whole life with brought to the screen in the way that they've been brought? I mean, yeah, of course. Okay. And I, and I think honestly, and if you took a, a consensus of most, most American film goers, they would, that'd be right up there with Star Wars as one of their go-to. It's hard to, it's hard to argue it's, against the MCU. You can't, you can't, I can't imagine they wouldn't go Marvel just on Iron Man and Spider-Man alone. There, at this point, I mean, there's about to be with this summer, it's going to be, there are going to be like 30 films. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's so, it's a huge thing. So like, I mean, if, Hey, I want to watch all of the, the Marvel movies in order. Well, that's going to take you like four, you know, at this point it's going to be like four days straight. Sure. And it just, and, and I would get, I'd make it five days cause I'd end up watching Dolph Lundgren's the Punisher like six times. <laughs> Count me down at least three times for war. Well, and you know, my, that would be, honestly, that would make me so happy because they, t- they got the multiverse now. 
Yeah. If just if there was a crossover between the multiverse punishers to yeah. see Dolph Lundgren, oh, 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 oh. my little heart would beat so happy. Yeah. You know, the Punisher is one of those guys, not to go on a sidetrack for more than 10 seconds, but it's one of those characters. I got a Punisher poster that I had in my bedroom growing up from the, the original four up four issue miniseries, uh, hanging out here in the corner, no hope. And, you know, it, it's been weird to see that, that symbol and that character that I grew up just in, enthralled with his stories kind of hijacked over yes, the last few years where like now when you see like a, a Punisher sticker on somebody's pickup, it's almost like a sign, like it's like a handicap sticker, but mentally handicapped. It's like, when did the Punisher sign become a, a mentally handicapped sign on t-shirts and, and pickup? Well, and the problem with that is, is there are people who love the symbol, but absolutely know nothing about the comic. That, well, that, and, and that's true. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing. Like I could say my love of judge dread, but it's, you know, I, you also take that with a grain of salt. You understand these basic, these people live in a, in a authoritarian military state. And the Judge Dredd is literally, we like him because he is, is the man. He's, well, he's the man. He is literally judge, jury, and executioner. But we like the Judge Dredd because he has no external things. He's, he's the perfect. You know, yeah. Judge Dredd. He's the perfect yeah. judge. Which, what, which, how haven't they made four of those films? Because that last Dredd film was begging for a franchise. It, I, I, I am dumbfounded. The last Judge Dredd with Urban is just, to me, amazing. They and I'm dumbfounded. About, they didn't go I mean, they talked about doing a series on Netflix, just that, called like Mega City One. That'd be great because I, I, I look at that dread movie. Like you guys talk about that new Batman movie. They, they nailed mega city. They nailed the, the aesthetic, which you've got to nail before you can even begin showing dread and everything. You got to, you got to have and the Stallone film with it has its charms. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I really felt like that, that film deserves some, some sequels for sure. Okay. Yaks number two. Uh, number two great idea of, of the Punisher was 20 years ago that Daniel Baldwin should pay play him because then you're like he'd have the the logo would be stretched over his gut and you wouldn't even tell like he'd like the, the teeth <laughs> would be going all these different no, the, like the big like, like the big the big white bell would like be sticking outward like it would look like this giant grand piano Daniel Baldwin should play the Punisher sorry that was high kudos to Kay for that one that was yeah. Uh, and I think our favorite scene from any Punisher film in the, uh, what was the Thomas Jane, John Travolta one where, uh, uh, uh John Travolta, John, out. John, no, John Travolta's henchman. He was a gangster and his right hand. What was his name? Kevin Nash, the wrestler. There was the scene with, there was the scene with, with Kevin Nash where he was in a little sailor suit, but there was also the scene where, uh, who's the <laughs> actor? I'm just thinking about it. Who's the actor from the uh Halloween, the recent ones who plays the cop? Uh the uh, ball. Will Patton. Patton. Yeah, Will Patton. Will Patton plays John Travolta's concierge in the mafia. And there's a scene where he's like in this department store waiting to meet somebody, and this this effeminate department store employee comes up to him and is like, What's he say he acts like? Can I help you find some underpants or something? Yes. <laughs> I mean, without even like looking, you know, you just gotta get the side shot of him. Go fuck yourself. 
Can I help you? Are you looking for some jockey shorts? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Out of all those Punisher movies, that's literally the best scene in any of them. Uh, all right. Yaks, uh, back on track. Number two, we've got the Thin Man series. We've got Raiders Lost Ark. We've got the Marvel Universe. What is number two? James Bond. There you go. I mean, much like the MCU, it spans decades. It changes each decade, it, you know, they keep changing it. And yeah, I mean, people complain like, oh, he's added, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense anymore. As I said, it never had to make sense. I never to this day know what's going on in a James Bond movie and it doesn't matter. I don't it does know. Not. I don't know what the bad guy's up to. I don't understand his plan. I don't understand James Bond's approach to solving the plan, like figuring things out. I don't understand anything in any James Bond movie and it doesn't matter. It does not. I'm like, they're just fun. I just, I just like it. It's like, oh, there's a hot chick shaving Daniel Craig with a straight razor. Now I got to buy a suit. Damn it. How, where did that come from? Exactly. I, I, I respect that as number two. Jane, the, you just say James Bond. It speaks for itself. Yes. Uh, what's your number one? Of course. Number one is Star Wars. It to me has like you know i can say go with tut it wasn't based off of anything you know lucas wrote a script he pulled you know material and ideas from so many different sources books movies old series the old you know buck rogers serials uh you know and just pushed them together but even with that you can say it wouldn't have been any good unless because he, even at the time, there was nobody to do his, to do the effects that he wanted. So he had to end up creating his own effects. And then, you know, he lucked out by getting, you know, a younger John Williams to do the soundtrack. Yeah. And it just has continued on to this day. I mean, yeah, even of course, John Williams, he pulled from either even older sources of music. It wasn't like he was like creating out of just thin air, Yeah. but he took some, some other things and other styles and he just rolled with it. And, you know, you put it all together in this sort of amazing sci-fi mashup and you just got. Okay. Lasting thing that we are still like everybody. Oh, the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian. But I was like, you wouldn't have the Mandalorian if you didn't have the rest of it. That's right. Good and bad. Hey, Sorry, one quick comment that yeah. I, I know everybody's really familiar with, but just uh, I think it's in the book Empire Making, which is just, it's just so funny today. Like when George Lucas told the 20th Century Fox people in 1976 or 77 or whatever, I want the merchandising rights. And they were like, <laughs> They're yours. Listen to this guy. He went yeah. to USC film school. He wants the merchandising rights. You can have him, you bearded weirdo. <laughs> they just they were like, sure, take the merchandising rights. Do you think those dudes are like like on a rope in their closet right now? Like, God. Oh, they're, yeah, they're long gone. I'm wondering, Yaks, what do you think a box of that Buck Rogers cereal would go for nowadays if somebody had one in their pantry? Mm. Or were you... First oh, of all, it would be you're talking a, like would, the, the serial TV shows. I'm talking about the serial TV shows. Oh, okay. okay. The old 19, 
you know, 30s and 40s serial TV show. I'm not talking about the 1980s Buck Rogers with Sweet uh, well, Aaron Gray and that, uh, that, that off-white, uh, skin-tight jumpsuit. Hubba, hubba, wubba, wubba. Uh, okay. Well, man, you guys have all brought something to the table that I honestly didn't predict and see coming. I, and I, I, I love that. Makes me I'm going to I had drank that six pack of JR Ewing beer. My dad had in his garage for 30 years. Jeez. I'm still trying to get rid of Well, that's between my dermatologist and I. That's what caused those burning ears. I, I, I think it has something to do with the burning ears. Um, okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to breeze through mine really quick because most of them you guys have actually touched on. Um, my number one obviously was Halloween watched uh, far more good than bad in the series, a very lengthy franchise. And I've certainly watched them more than any other film franchise over, you know, since I was a young, a young lad, Friday 13th, number two, same reasons. The doctor said way more good than bad. And with the Halloweens, so rewatchable. Uh, the, the rewatchable factor for me is huge. And I mean, there, there were weeks growing up, uh, in the summer vacations in elementary and middle school where the doctor and I would watch certain Halloweens several times in the same week. Um, so, so those have a very soft, you know, I'm, I'm a big horror nerd and, and those, and, and you know what? There's a lot of horror franchises that, that have just as many entries or, or, you know, they, they have a respectable number like the Nightmare on Elm Streets or the Screams. And the phantasms, which I, I enjoyed several of those, but as far as horror goes, those, those two are the, the granddaddies of them all for me. Uh, I almost included in my list, just while we're talking about horror, uh, George Romero's dead films. Uh, the first three, just Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead are so damn good. And while Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead, had their moments. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't give it a push into the, into the top five. Um, so as from a strictly horror standpoint, those are my, those made my top two. My number three was Jaws. Um, all bring either just pure entertainment or actual brilliant filmmaking. Uh, you know, the, the original Jaws is one of the few, I think, 99.9% perfect, perfect film. There's a couple shots, a stock footage of sharks under the water that don't look like Bruce that I always like, man, you, you could have, but that's like nip, you know, it's a perfect film almost. Uh, my number fourth film, uh, for fourth franchise was one that you, you guys have not mentioned. Um, and a genre you guys have not mentioned. I went with the vacation films. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as a comedy franchise, I can watch vacation, European vacation. Every year I watch Christmas vacation and I know it it's, doesn't live up to its three predecessors, but oh, Vegas vacation has its a plenty of moments. I'll take the bullet for you. And when you look at a lot of other comedy franchises, I'm looking at you, the hangover. They, they, there's a very steep decline in quality, uh, in almost every other, uh, f- comedy franchise that makes it to three or more films. And yeah. man, I, I just had to go vacations there. And then oh, my, that's a good entry. 
And then my fifth spot was 007. Um, I was really close. There was three films that were battling it out for my fifth spot. The 007, the Death Wish films, with which there were five, that are the the last three are a big guilty pleasure for me. Oh, and then the, did you did you count Death Kiss in there as well? I did not. No, you're dead. Uh, and then I also flirted with the Dirty Harrys. There's five of those. True. Um, but franchise, man. But honestly, I was always a little more into the Death Wishes and the Dirty Harrys. So, so that's that's my top five. What I was really blown away by, and I'm just going to breeze through these, were the ones that I didn't even consider considering how big a fan I was of the, the first, usually the first two die hard. They made five of those fuckers, but I'd only consider the first two really good films. Uh, three was spotty. I, I thought about that too. Three was spotty and then four and five were just trash. I actually, I actually have a soft spot for, uh, with a vengeance. Is that the one with Kevin Smith in it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think was, it's I think it's the tech the angle that gets me. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance part. is part three with Sam Jackson. Yeah, no, Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard is the one Tut's thinking about. Okay, yeah. Um, I also considered the Lethal Weapons because those first two are action classics. The the third yeah. one is not shabby at all, but that fourth one with Jet Li was, I that that knocked it out I, for me. To be honest, I don't even think I've seen the fourth one. It's not bad. It's really not bad, but, uh, but no, I couldn't give it to it off the strength of just the two. Same with T2, same with Terminators after the second one. Uh, okay. Well, you know, oh, you know, and you mentioned Rockies, Tut. Rambo has got five yeah. films. Yeah. And I had a hard time. That third one was a turd with a capital T and it really n- knocked it out of qualifying for me because I really enjoyed the fourth one. But I've yet to see the fifth one. Uh, you you should probably just stop with the fourth one. Okay. Yeah. Um, We're throwing in the Vegas vacation line since you mentioned it because we mentioned that one from the Predator flick. There's a great line in that. You got Wallace Shawn, the little guy with the lisp, who's the blackjack dealer. Oh, yeah. Chase goes up to him and he's like, you again, Griswold? I tell you what, why don't you give me half what you were going to bet? We'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. He was so <laughs> good at that. Slam that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> for horror nerds, Texas Chainsaw has like 10-something movies. Good stuff in a look few of them, but, you know, whatever, but I just kind of, you know what? I thought this might be an interesting exercise and I was surprised, uh, no one mentioned Star Trek. That did not come up at all. Uh, based off of a TV series, that's why I eliminated it. Okay. I was also surprised, uh, cause they're so popular. Well, actually, I'm not surprised that it didn't come up in this crowd, but considering how popular and how many there are, uh, the Mission Impossibles are, uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen them, so I don't know. I'm not allowed to watch Tom Cruise movies. I lo- I I kind of fell off after Mission Impossible Two. I like the first. I like the first one, but okay. Yeah. Um. Well, dude, thanks for indulging me, fellas. Um. Fun. I would say that if I if I did if I did y'all's guys and I went with my own personal ones, uh, DC would be in there and the Harry Potters would be in there. 
Okay. Uh, well, our film tonight, which we're going to breeze through, is the ninth installment, or possibly after the doctor uh, mentioned the tenth installment of the sense. of the Children of the Corn franchise. What started out that as, amazes me. What started a out short story, a short story by Stephen King, has produced twenty plus hours of cinematic uh, corny adventures. It was uh, 2023's Children of the Corn. I, I believe this film was shot during COVID. I believe it was like they would start it up and film some, then it got shut down. Like it was, it was. This was made during 2020, 2021. Yeah, that's a hard production schedule. Yeah, I read, they, I read that as well. It was mostly they, 2020. I've been hearing about this film for several years, and then it's finally it's finally out there now. Uh, it was directed and written by a guy named Kurt Wimmer who previously wrote 1992's Double Trouble, starring the Barbarian Twins. That was our last episode, remember, The Barbarians? He wrote a a cop, an action uh, buddy cop movie with them in 1992. But then he also, speaking of franchises or possible franchises. I have to watch Double Trouble right now. uh, I highly encourage it. No, no, not right now, Tim. He also, get this, wrote the screenplays for the remakes of both 2012's Total Recall, the Colin Farrell, Colin, uh, and 2015's remake of Point Break, which I never saw and I never will see. Uh, Point, Point Break is another one of those Jaws like almost perfect movies. And, uh, I, I just, I, give me two. Give me two. Utah. Give me two. The ass end of a dead rhino should give me three of these things. <laughs> um, but Tuesday nights at Gar Club are ghosts. Forget it. They vanish like a virgin on prom night. They are drunk ghosts. <laughs> you sound, you sound ghosts. good, man. You sound good. Quadruple IPAs. Best I ever taste. Two bricks coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I won't. I, I, I just. It, it could be great, but I'm not going to watch it. I'm well, like I, well, he's, my point is he certainly isn't new to tackling existing properties like he's doing again tonight with Tone the Corn. And, and on top of that, he has directed some flicks. Uh, I'm sure you got you sci-fi guys. Do you ever see the Christian Bale 2002 sci-fi film Equilibrium? Yep, I have. He directed, he wrote and directed that. So and then, you're telling me this man takes everything and just misses it by a hair. Just so close. He also did, I'm sure you guys saw this. Uh, he also directed the 2006 futuristic flick Ultraviolet with Mila Jovanovic kicking ass. Once again, he gets right up there, right up there. It's so close to awesome. Yeah. Ah, that's his thing. That's what he's known for. Um, We want it to be awesome, but not quite. uh, So this Wimmer guy has done some stuff for sure. In fact, get this, guys. He wrote the script for the upcoming Expendables 4, which will make that a franchise eligible for our lists. So you're telling me it's going to be – it's a little Expendable. Well, I'm hoping – I'm hoping that this Kurt, I'm hoping that this Kurt Wimmer guy will take the Expendables franchise in the right direction, which means the rated R for violence direction, because that's, was a big misstep in two and three going for the 
PG thirteen stuff. Um, they yeah, couldn't try to get a mass audience. They couldn't afford all the bullets because they spent it on Stallone's wardrobe. I've said this a thousand <laughs> I times. But I mean, what thirteen year old wants to watch a bunch of eighty year olds shooting people? No, guys our age want to watch eighty year olds shooting people. I know the answer to that, Cade. The cool ones. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And there you go. Um, so tonight's, uh, film selection is an admittedly selfish one. I wanted to watch the latest Joe of the Corn movie, and this was literally the only way I'd have someone to talk about it with is if I forced you guys to watch it. In an interesting <laughs> twist, I got really busy and I didn't have a chance to watch it. So could you guys just tell me about it? <laughs> Well, there's so many corn. children, so much corn, so much corn. No, I, I watched it. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I was going to encapsulate it for you in about 10 seconds. <laughs> well, let's do this the, uh, the TNCC way. Uh, the flick begins with and frequently goes back to some really cool shots of a giant cornfield blowing in the breeze. I don't know why, but for some reason, as the doctor holds up his corn whiskey, you said do this the TNCC way. Oh yeah. Okay. Cheers, boys. <laughs> Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, the way they presented the corn in these wide, I actually thought it was kind of ominous early on. It was. I was surprised. First of all, cornfields are ominous, but. I I, I wanted to predicate that as ominous as corn can be. I mean, it it is just corn. Well, I mean, and I will reference the point that we were in awesome beautiful few years ago we were an awesome beautiful corn country and we literally had that children of the corn moment i mean we're driving down that road in pennsylvania and that small amish child just appears out of the field yeah and we all had that silent moment where we're like we're gonna die aren't we? <laughs> well he died because yaks ran him over in our in our rental truck and... you know why he was there he deserved it uh, unlike Pete Horton and Linda Hamilton, happen we all just kept on driving <laughs> He was going to kill us. Guys, I I think there's something wrong with my lighter. Yeah, there is. That's the demon. That's the corn demon. Now, the problem is, is that those cornfields in real life, much like the cornfields in this movie, are only ominous because of that original movie. Without that original movie, that that ominous shot of the cornfield, it's not ominous. I'm surprised you give it such credence, Cade, because what I what I thought was initially when I was watching it was you had talked about how relying on drone shot footage was something yeah. that was a little bit of a pet peeve of yours. And that it definitely- was, but but for some reason the 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 way that they presented the corn early on in the film it, it really kind of set a nice tone for me. I'm going to give it credit where where I think it's due. Uh, the film then cuts to a little girl named Eden living in Rylestone, Nebraska. The happiest corn in Nebraska, the sign says. It's got this corn, this piece of corn with like a female smiling face on it. And that was actually more terrifying than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like Which the, ha- should be. the happiest corn in Nebraska till the doctor puts you in his microwave at 2 a.m. and pops your ass so he can settle in and watch American poop for the 17th time on DVD. We'll see how happy that corn is then. I've only watched that movie twice, and let me reassure you that you will be buttered and salted to your satisfaction. (laughs) So this little Eden girl watches as a teenage boy emerges from the corn, grabs a knife, and starts butchering up all the adults working at a nearby children's daycare center. The local sheriff, and then he 
he holds himself up in the daycare. So the local sheriff and his drunk town elder buddies have the brilliant idea to solve the hostage situation by pumping the daycare facility with sleeping gas meant for cows, which ends up killing all the 15 kids <laughs> up in there. Oops. Yeah, I think it's what kind of like what the Russians did in that movie theater when they tried to get rid of the, the terrorist. Oh, is that what they did? Pumped it full of horse yeah. gas. Okay, I thought it. I thought it might have been a because uh, a, a, throughout this movie, I felt like there was some modern top like topical themes this guy was trying to get. Oh, in. yeah, that was def that was definitely a, a big helping of climate change and all that stuff. But I thought this was maybe a little slam at those guys that use like the the horse dewormer to fight COVID. Like anything that treats horses is good enough for you know. Like I don't know. I I. Later on, when I thought back to it, I'm like, oh, was that another little thing he was trying to get a message across? I don't know. Anywho, they kill all these kids, except little Eden, who's outside watching it all go down. So there's a smart teenage girl in town named Bo, who's soon leaving this shitty little uh town of whatever it's called, where all the adults, every adult seems very on edge. The farming industry is going downhill. They're all fighting with each other. I love that shot of there's like these two downtown, these two stores sweeping their the leaves they off their sidewalks, and they start they start like sword fighting with their brooms. That's my dust. Those are my leaves. Like what the hell is that? Uh, and then the kids are going around, you know, chanting death, death, death. Like the kids, something's clearly going on with the youth in this town. So she's getting, Bo's getting the hell out of there to go get a microbiology degree from the Boston College. She wants to help save the environment, save the local bio, biochemically engineered corn that's a toxic mess now, and maybe, just maybe, boys, save the town of Rylestone altogether. But, but before she leaves in two weeks, Bo thinks she has a, an idea that a rotting corn fungus growing on the leaves in the field that might be what's causing these little brats led by preteen Eden to act like such little shits. She's a big there believer that, to that there's a fungus that it, it can cause hallucinatory effects in children. This was explored in, we, we featured, uh, Children of the Corn 2. Uh, yeah. that was, that was a fun show, a fun movie. And that was kind of the whole, uh, a big basis of that was the, the yeah. fungus that, that grows on the corn was getting into the kids' minds. Well, as, as the, uh, as the smart chick noted that, you know, there were, there is a theory that that's behind the Salem witch trials was the, the hallucinogenics there. But it's, as we'll soon learn, it's one of about five or six different themes that they're trying to cram into this movie. Um, if they had maybe just kind of stuck with one or two, uh, but, but the fungus is there and, and, and she's concerned about it. Um, reminds me of a chick I knew it back at Sam Houston State University. Am I right? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we actually see here early on that the corn is doing some weird things. It, we see a scene where it sprouts some little yellow tentacles that then infiltrate the soil. And then there's some other visually kind of hallucinatory stuff. Uh, those shots did not work as well for me as just the static corn shots. Uh, and that's weird when you prefer a big ass boring shot of corn to the CGI effects they actually spent money on. Uh, 
my only wish here early on, and then I saw, and maybe you guys will appreciate this, maybe you noticed it too, what made the first film so visually impactful. And like you said, Tut, the reason we got creeped down in Pennsylvania when Yak Boy ran over that Amish kid, it, hey, three Allegedly. years. Three years now, I think we're in the clear. Um, but was the greenness of the corn and under the, under the sun, it was just a horror film in vivid color. And what I didn't like here early on was how dark and sepia tone the corn was. But as the film goes on, you see why that was and how it shifts. So I really don't know why I mentioned it because it's not an actual complaint because they actually had a purpose for, for doing it. the corn's dead. The town's dead. They yeah. killed. They let a big corporation in to kill the corn, and it's just a big brown mess. But see, to me, that 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 loses the character of the corn because in in the first the corn in the first movie the corn is alive. The corn is the menace. Yes, yeah, but yeah, but he, but Tut, in this film, you see as the film progresses. Things change, and I, and, I understand. And sometimes when I'm writing my notes and I'm all critical, they fix it, and I'm too lazy to go back and take that out of my notes. That criticism. <laughs> uh, well, when when uh, when uh, Bo gets home from an afternoon spent out in the corn, because apparently if you're 18 and living in this town, you just hang out in the corn. Uh, big sis, it's Nebraska. Big sis Bo and her little impressionable brother Cease. Discover they they get home and they discover their smoking hot mom getting into a pickup truck with some cowboy hat wearing slick dick that isn't their dad. Yikes! But it's just another sign, as he says, of how corrupt and awful the town of Rylestone truly is. Everybody in this town's either miserable or cheating on their spouses or just angry and fighting hey, each other. It just makes no sense to me. It's like, hey, there's our mom. Hey, Mom, where are you going? Later. By the way, Yax and I uh, do a spoken word duet under the name uh, Cowboy Hat Wearing Slick Dicks at <laughs> O'Brien's every Friday night. You guys should check it out. Uh, I will. Well, do you guys put it up on YouTube? I'm not I'm not going up there for them. No. No, we don't. Sometimes you got to be there. Experience the magic. Sometimes you got to be there. Um, speaking of their dad, who wasn't in the truck with their mom, he's at the town hall giving a speech to all the farmers blaming corporate giant Grossin, who came in with all their GMOs and herbicides and empty promises, and they fucked up the corn. They're the reason the corn failed. Eden and the kids storm into town hall, and so does the town preacher, who says it's not Grossin's fault. They didn't ruin the crops. The town's sin, which is moral and spiritual abomination. That's that's what's going on here. And he just gets laughed off the stage by all these farmers. Despite Bo's passionate pleas for the farmers to rebuild and fix the soil, she's a scientist. She wants to re you know re-energize and a couple of years later we might have some good crops. Yes, doctor. Uh, hopefully I was not the only one who recognized the actor playing the, uh, town preacher. Man, I did. Uh, I did. He, I looked so he looks so familiar. Yeah, yes. I didn't. I didn't. 
Come on, man. You can't be just knocking on. Bruce Spence. And who is he, X? <sighs> Come on, Cade. We got to go all the way back to the Road Warrior. He's the helicopter. He's no! the pilot for the Road Warrior. Helicopter <laughs> pilot. Yes. He I mean, just look- wasn't having an Australian accent. He looks the same age. I thought he the look- guy was dead. He looks the exact same. A fast man might have a weapon under there. I'd have to pin his head to the panel. Dude, I knew I could count on you, Yax. Wow. I, I, crazy, I immediately bro. saw him on screen. I literally was like, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, look at it. It's oh, him. It's that guy. Well, obviously, Mad Max was not in my franchise top five. And there, there was four of them. It would have, it would have qualified. Man, good call, boys. Uh, he does have such a unique look, and he was really good in this. Uh, well, he gets laughed off on stage with his religious uh, nonsense. Um, despite Bo, the the teenage girl's passionate pleas to to rebuild and give the soil some chance to to rejuvenate, it doesn't go over well either. So reluctantly, her dad holds a vote because they only have two days to decide the future of this town. And he's like, we got to go with government subsidies. They'll actually pay us to not grow corn. They'll pay us to destroy our cornfields and just sit at home and do nothing. And everyone unanimously is like, yeah, let's do that. Right, here's but the, the problem. But here, real quick, Ted, here's some of the quotes yelled out by the farmers in this meeting when this plan is put in place. Bring on the threshers. Timeshare in Florida. Here I come. And this one that went over really big, the corn economy can kiss my ass. <laughs> I actually rewound that. I'm like, I couldn't have heard that right. The way every, the way everybody's cheering at this dude, he, this dude actually says the corn economy can kiss my ass. And everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't you take uh, the government's money, mow down your corn and rehabilitate the soil and then like not get in the program the year after or two years after and grow corn again. Well, there you go with your thinking again, college boy. Uh, I like a t-shirt that says the corn economy can kiss my ass. Hey, I'll give, I'll give Kurt Wimmer, the screenwriter, a little bit of credit. This thing he created government subsidies and like it, it worked in the context of the story. I, I, everything else. I'm like, he actually, that could be something that might work in the real world. So that's kind of cool. Um. Oh, there's my. No, it is. It is a thing. I mean, the government does pay you not to grow crops. Oh, I thought he made up the word subsidies. That's that's an actual thing that exists. Yeah, it is. Oh, and it is in everything. Oh, Yak Boy, can you get a subsidy to stop serving beer and pour it all down the drain? Don't you dare! They typically give it for commodities, not for retail. Oh, okay, okay. Time share in Port Arthur, here I come. Well, get this, like I'm I said. Time share at Caddo Lake, here I come. <laughs> this beer economy can kiss my ass. The corn economy, are you kidding me? Okay. Put your so, tuss in one this rowboat out there in the swamps of <laughs> East Texas. I got my time share. <laughs> See what's like I said. These farmers are are all for this plan. But then Eden, the little girl, speaks up. She says the kids should have a vote as the land will one day be theirs. 
And dude, this farmer, man, he goes off on a, a comedic riff on Little Eden. Little kids, little kids voting? Why don't you go home instead of voting and play with your little toys, your baby dolls? And dude, these farmers, it's like they're at a Jeff Foxworthy concert. They're belly laughing at this guy making these lame jokes at this little girl. All these kids are clearly like really passionate about that. And dude, these grownups are just shitting all over them. It's a really weird scene. Yeah, it, it didn't work for me, but you know. Oh, it didn't work for me at all, but it was, it, I didn't mind watching it. Uh, little, little Eden gets really pissed off and she, she runs off into the cornfield where two corn stalk arms emerge from the corn and reach around and cradle her as she, as she sobs. How hard would it be to make two arms out of actual corn stalks on wires? Why do you got to CGI this shit? It looks so cheesy. It looked cheesy, but I just want to say something else. I'm hoping you're going to get to this, but I just, I have to preempt it and say it because it's to me, it's the only good thing. That little girl playing Eden was fucking fantastic. And she was awesome. Let me get to this uh, real quick, doctor, if you don't mind. Hang on. My Hang next, on. my next How note. Hard? My next note. Did y'all like the young actress playing Eden? Because I thought she was good, and that's really key, Doctor, because horrendous child acting is what sank a lot of these Children of the Corn movies. She was brilliant. Well, I she was fantastic. Well, I thought bad, she bad child acting, was... bad script writing, bad directing, bad everything sunk those other movies. But, dude, kid actors, if you get a good one, you got a chance, and she's really good. She's I thought really she was, good. I thought she was brilliant. She's really good. She I hated how old. she was written. Okay, well, we'll get to that. Uh, I think I think I might know some of your criticism there, Ted. We'll get to that. But right. as far as well, her, one pro- thing, one thing about that scene, instead of having fucking corn arms embrace this chick, how hard is it? To have her walk up to the edge of the cornfield and then there's being, there's some strings tied to the corn stalks and you see the corn stalks split apart, allowing her to walk in and then close back up under her. I mean, that, that was one of the things that was part of the, the original that was and so two. cool and, and so two. scary. And part two. Man, that, that brings the cornfield alive without having to do this crappy CGI, crappy monster thing. It, yeah. It's just the corn well, we itself the same thing. is an act. Practical effects act. speak volumes. The only yeah. way I gave it a pass here early on, guys, was because of that fungus factor, which, Doctor, that's a band that Yagboy and I are doing a, a little jazz thing under fungus on the factor. weekends. The fungus factor. That's going to follow uh, cowboy hats with slick dicks. But I, I was thinking that as far as like, okay, well, maybe those aren't real arms maybe she's hallucinating the corn monster and so that's, that's my whole thing is maybe this movie is a hallucination so at, th- at this point i was like all right well if she's a little girl imagining then okay i'll give the those- <laughs> I, I was like i'll give the- i'll give the corn arms a pass for now uh well we then get treated to a montage of little eden preaching to the town's children she even sucks bo's little brother cease into her spooky little corn cult uh, by the way, all the girls now in town are wearing old timey Amish dresses for some reason. So was I, was I the only one? And it was, 
maybe it was in comparison to everybody else because I thought this movie was a shit parade, but what I thought that little girl playing Eden was awesome. I was like, oh my, and, and she's like, she's like, she's got to be like 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. I know people are usually older than their look. There's no way she was like 16 or 17 or anything like that. You know, you're not going to have like a 90210 thing where she was like 32 no. years old. I thought, I thought just everything she did, I thought she just home run, man. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. She, she um, yes. I, a hundred percent. Again, I really like her acting in it and there's nothing I can do to criticize her because it is rare that you see, you know, a girl with her chops at that age. But this entire scene was more like a community activist instead of a hardcore religion. There was not, I, no, the, I, I didn't see no, any the, type of preaching going on. No, it, was no, no. Just, it, it was preaching. It was preaching from a, a protest standpoint as opposed to a religious standpoint. And, yeah. and you know what? I, I kind of give him a pass for that because you're not going to do the child preacher better than, uh, Isaac in the first one who had I think no, you have to try who had no, but Isaac didn't have any. You're, you're talking about the central focus being a demon, being a spiritual element. I think you have to try to get some sort of spiritualism in here no, other it, than a freaking a community good, activist no, down there doing a protest. No, that's a good point, but. They, I liked what they did with her as far as they were able, because one, she was a little younger than Isaac. They, they were able to give her a little sass and her little sass really made it her own as opposed to the, the, the kid leaders ah, in the man, other films. See, see, I, this is probably where we, I, we diverge is because more she goes into that sass, the more I'm taking out of it, or I'm 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 taking it back. Because one of my one of my pet peeves is the child character that knows all, is all, and that is just comfortable in every setting. And that what would make her eerie, I mean, just like really eerie, is maintaining some of that childlike essence. Yeah, but you know what, her. And, and that sass brings the sass brings it out. But you know what? Or, I or felt, took me out of that. I felt I felt for Eden the sass was justified because unlike Isaac, uh, or even Doctor, what was the little leader in the second one? Uh, that was Micah. Micah, who was re- he was good as well, and and yeah. it went it went heavy into religion. Um, she was an orphan who had been treated so shitty by the town, yeah. and, and the adults. That everything that was unfolding, she was taking this kind of guilty pleasure in because it was, there was a revenge factor in it for her, which Isaac and Micah didn't have that. They, they had nice parents and they were strictly led by the, the demon of the corn to do what yeah, they do. Where, where she's got, she's got a chip on her shoulder that she's actually getting some joy out of seeing these grownups who failed her get their comeuppance. So it kind of worked for me in that way. It's an yeah, I think it's an interesting debate because I did appreciate the religious aspect of Isaac, you know, and, and granted, John Franklin, God knows how old he was when they actually made that. 51. Uh, um, but uh, there was an aspect just – I see where Tut's going with that, and I think there is an element missing there that you could have done with the religious aspect of it. I, I understand why they ignored it. 
I just felt like this little girl, I could have kicked her 20 yards and she scared me with her performance. She, she, she won me. It was the only good thing about the film. I've already said that I won't go. I'll try to repeat it again. That, that, that whole, whatever she was doing, whatever the script was, whatever the director told her to do aces. I mean, they were, they were very wise to give her the amount of screen time that they did. I think, uh, well, they have to because she's the, she's the cornerstone of the film. I, I think the problem that I have, and it's a testament to the power of King's writing is that the original story is so good that if you bring me another story in name, but doesn't have the same elements, then yeah. I, I just, it's hard for me not to compare it to that original work. No, I understand. And, True and statement, I, uh, we're just so far gone from that thing at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is the 10th film now. Uh, if you had 10, 10 bad karaoke's of that one short story. Yeah. At, le- at least each one kind of way more fails than hits. Uh, try something new. Uh, my God, the, the fourth one, uh, or the third one, Urban Harvest, they go like into Chicago. <laughs> You've got these two guys in their overalls playing basketball on a tripod. <laughs> yeah, it's like crazy. Uh, watch that kid Jedediah. He's got a, he's got a wicked handle with his left hand. <laughs> Don't let him drive the paint. <laughs> Well, uh, Bo, uh, our, our teenage heroine, turns out she's contacted a big time reporter from the big city of Omaha, Sheila Boyce, to come into town that night as a last ditch effort to expose what Grosynth has done to their corn, their town. And she's like, she'll get the story out there. That's our last shot of saving this before those subsidies can kick in. Um, uh, and she, tracks down Eden's corn cult of kids to help make sure that all their parents are at the town hall later that night to pull off her big plan. But when she finds the sweet youngsters, they've somehow dug an enormous, I'm talking like a 15 yard by 15 yard, 10 feet deep hole in the middle of the cornfield uh, where they butchered a hog and are using its blood to paint the roots of the corn underground to feed it. And I but, don't know why she didn't just walk out, see this, and do immediately do a 180 <laughs> and leave the fucking town. No, well, here's, but here's I have the thing. To go to university. These kids are soaked in blood. She'd already seen one encounter where they, they tried to burn another kid at the stake. Uh, or, like this is her second interaction where these kids are doing some very disturbing shit. But, I'm taking myself into the dorm. Fuck you guys. Yax is justified running over that kid you guys saw in Pennsylvania if he walked out of the cornfield soaked in blood. At that point, Yax, you step on the accelerator. Nothing to see here. I'm not, I'm not changing my decision, but I'm just, I saw that when I saw this, I'm like, nope. Well, Bo, Bo, uh, the local girl, these are kids she knows. She's like, all right, they're painting. They dug a giant hellish hole covered in pig's blood and they're all covered in blood. No biggie. Look guys, I need you to go get your parents and get them to come to the town hall tonight at 10 o'clock sharp. And Eden's like, all right, fine. <laughs> we'll do it. I mean, honestly, I was like, but that tells me that seeing something like this, they dug a giant pit and they're painting corn roots with blood. Oh, God, this reminds me last year at the same time. 
Like, no, there, there's no equivalent to that. There's not a. My name is Paul, uh, and this is between another Rylestone homecoming dance. Just yeah. can't wait. I'm still picturing <laughs> yaks that kid comes out going, "Fuck this asshole!" <laughs> We're going to the airport. <laughs> I uh, well, hey, that night, Bo and brother, can I can I call him Lil C's? Dude, I'm I, sorry, I, man. Can I? Can I? It's, yeah. It's, on me can i take five again yeah yeah hey while you do that we'll do a cigar wrap up okay okay wait real quick before we get to uh what goes on that night at the big town hall meeting uh do you are you boys almost done with your cigars i finished a little bit ago i got just a touch left final third okay final thoughts uh i enjoyed it maybe the best diesel i've ever had uh as far as uh, a very straightforward profile, but for my beer tonight, it paired beautifully that oak and earthiness. But for me, the, the star of the show, as I said earlier, was that retro hail, that, that pepper spice that just hovers in your nose was so nice. And then you added a little bit of mineral grew into it. And then I got that really nice, uh, vanilla note underneath the mineral. And that, that yin and yang between the, the, the retro and the draw, man, it was a, it was a really nice, uh, it, it fit the bill for me tonight. What'd you guys think? I liked it. I liked it a lot. The, the spice, the little bit of that, like I said, I had that little bit of sweetness. I still have it on this last little bit, but that touch of mineral, all of it. Okay. Uh, Tut, you, you, yeah, and- I, yeah, I came through with the, uh, like I said, a vegetable oil in that first half. It settled down. The pepper blew up in the, uh, in the retro hell. The mineral got introduced in the second half of it. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with it. I, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure that I would gravitate towards this in a humidor if I saw it compared to other stuff. Uh, especially depending on, let's see where the price is, but it's a good cigar. I'm not going to sit there and say that it's not, uh, it's, but yeah. I, I, it, that's weird. Cause our, our last show, we did another, uh, cigar from forged cigar company, uh, the low status mm-hmm. that you guys really liked. And I found rather boring and man, to me, it had a lot less going on than tonight's cigar. And you guys were all big on that one. So. Uh, maybe it's just the night, the, the phase of the moon, the beer, different things influence the conversation. Yeah. Like that, that's yeah. the thing about cigars. The littlest things can, can kind of, uh, you know, really steer the course on your, your enjoyment or your lack of enjoyment in it. Uh, which is kind of cool. That's why when I review cigars for the website, I don't have a TV on. I don't have any kind of beverage other than water. I just, an hour and a half look at that cigar because I don't want any of those extraneous factors influence kind of how I'm feeling about it. Um, All right. Well, I will say this. I said it earlier. There's only 10,000 of these made for TAA TAA members. Uh, Boxes of 10. They came in a box that resembled a book. Uh, It was a really cool packaging, like a hardback book you would open um, with, with the 10 cigars in there. So TAA exclusive, 
1,000 boxes made of 10 cigars. Guess the price point on this bad boy. And it was a slow smoking cigar too. Oh man, I can't, I can't do that with that kind of an exclusivity. Man, I, I'll put it at $13.99. I wouldn't pay more than $10.99. I'm kind of right there. I was going to, I was going to go no more than 13 10 bucks. Ah. There you go. When you talked about the exclusive packaging, then that really threw me off. He always tries to, to throw us <laughs> off like that. Hey, the packaging, I, I, I did not. I did not it get. It was wrapped in the Necronomicon. <laughs> <laughs> when Forge sent these to us, uh, they did not. They they sent me five cigars review. I I did not get that book, but it looked it looked kind of cool. But uh, man, I eh, there's cigars uh from brands I like for a few dollars less that give me the same, uh, if not a little more experience. But uh, as far as like I said, as far as a brand that's as massive as Diesel. It is it is one of the better ones I've had from them. Uh, agreed. And the ten buck price point is perfect for the cigar, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It's a it's a beautiful looking cigar and it and it smoked really well. Okay. All right. Well, moving on. Uh later that night, Bo and uh br- her her brother, Lil C's. Doctor's probably the only one that gets that little C's reference. Am I right, Doctor? Well, I think his name was uh, Cecil or Cecil, but Little C's being Little Caesar's Pizza. Well, no, I I always thought you know uh, Little C's, uh, notorious Big's little sidekick. Uh, he, he had a he had a little rapper that hung out with him named Little C's that he that he would mention every once in a while. And I actually have a Little C's CD, but every time she called him C's, I was just just call him Little C's. Come on, just do it. Do it. Um, they somehow talk their drunk dad, drunk farmer dad, we'll call him that. And they wake him up with handcuffs on him. He passed out drunk. Uh, he's pounding scotch down to forget about his, his financial problems. They wake him up and they've got handcuffs on him and on drunk slut mom who's passed out next to him. And she's like, just trust me, dad. We're going to go downtown to a town hall meeting. We're going to put you on mock trial. I've got an idea. Just go with me. And he's so drunk still. He's like, all right. <laughs> I've had a half a bottle of George Dickel white label. Do your worst. So, dude, they not only do they handcuff their parents, they shove them in the back of the family station wagon like kids and drive them downtown. Uh, when they get there almost an hour late, good job, Bo. It's her plan. And like, they didn't get going till like 1030. Eden's horse is tied to a thick rope that goes over the front door of the town hall building. While Eden calmly sits on the front steps eating an apple, the corn of the fruit world, as it's been called. Oh, well, I, well, I, I just, right. I just, I just called it that. It doesn't work. Uh, you, you guys didn't grow up eating a bowl of corn sauce, like applesauce, but corn? No. No. Yeah. You'd be quiet and drink your corn juice. <laughs> yeah, I had a glass of corn juice every day with my breakfast, with my Buck Rogers cereal. 
Uh, Eden explains that because Bo was late, the children went ahead and did the trial. And then she then takes Bo inside where the horse's rope is revealed to be tied around Larry, the farmer guy's neck, the guy who's cracking all those bad jokes. Little kids voting. What's next? Some dude he, she on a Bud Light can? Am I right, people? And everybody's laughing. Uh, Where was I? Oh, yeah. He's not laughing now, Eden says, as she grabs her horse and walks it off, which raises the comedian up by his neck and kills him right in front of his two sons. But to be fair, he had been physically abusing his two sons pretty harshly. So he yeah, kind of, one dude had cuts all over his back, man. Yeah, he th- this dude deserved it. Not not for necessarily beating the kids, but his jokes were terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I'm kind of a comedy snob, if you will. Uh, but uh, anywho, one might say his jokes were corny. One might call him a modern day Bob Odendert. <laughs> Oh man, I can't hear this. I gotta, I gotta use the restroom. George Cornlin. Oh, where are you going, Todd? Get back here. <laughs> we'll keep going without him. A happy Eden and her band of chainsaw wielding, pimply faced teens then lead Bo, Little C's, and their drunk parents through the town, which has been torched. There's cars on fire, buildings on fire. And they spray painted he who walks in spray paint on the walls. They get to the police station where the kids are all going crazy, trashing the place. And all the town's parents, including, uh, well, Bo's parents. Remember, this is Bo's brilliant idea to handcuff all the parents in town, which worked out great for Eden because they were really easy to scoop up and shove into this jail cell. Shows you what a scholarship to Boston College is. I was going to say. Uh, you know, do you know who's a famous graduate of Boston uh, College? Doug Flutie. Howard Stern. Oh, I did not know that. School of Communications. And uh, apparently Doug Flutie. That well, he, he, I don't know if he graduated. He played football uh, there. Okay. Well, he, threw, he threw a lot of touchdowns up in Canada. That he did for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, what is an Argonaut? Well, there was that 1963 movie Jason and the Argonauts. Is that where they, is that where that, is that where their mascot came from? It's a Greek sailor. Hmm. Kind of like Kevin Nash in that Punisher movie. <laughs> uh, the less said about him anymore, the better. I don't want to get an erection live on the air. Uh, well, Bo, Bo's drunk, Bo's drunk dad, uh, asks Eden what she intends to do now that he, she's got him all captured under her thumb, which prompts her to put on a gas mask and call out for the halothane. That's the cow sleeping gas that the sheriff and his buddies used to kill all of her friends back at the daycare center. So she floods the jail cell with this cow sleeping gas. And when the adults wake up the next morning, they're in that giant hole in the cornfield. Yeah, apparently, apparently Eden knows how to mathematically compute the quantity necessary to knock them out, but not kill them. Well, she can. Unlike the farmers at the very beginning. 
she consulted with he who calculates behind the road. <laughs> Todd, I can see where this is going, and tomorrow you and I are going to get together with a case of Bud Light and watch Double Trouble. <laughs> Travis Tritt's not going to like it. <laughs> Eight, nine Bud Lights in. Tut and I are going to care. Uh, well, they, the, the adults look. <laughs> And but that's the thing with Bud Lights. It would have to be like, hey, eighteen beers later, we don't care. We live in a glorious age where it's like six later, I don't care. We we when we were growing up, you had to drink like fifty Pearl Lights to get a buzz. When you're watching Double Trouble with me and Tud on a Friday night, you drink eighteen Bud Lights. All right, I'm in. I need to come around. When the grown-ups look up, they're surrounded up above by little kids, bulldozers, and that smug little Greta Thunberg, or Eden, I guess is what they call her in, in this. Did y'all, did y'all think at this point the filmmakers were making a statement about the younger generation enacting revenge on the elders who yeah. ruined, ruined the land, ruined the environment, ruined their futures? It sure seemed like it, but then there's the corn monster stuff. And the fungus stuff, I wasn't really sure how any of this was tying together, but it was clear that th- this chick is based on that Greta Thunberg chick, right? I can see There's it. a lot of elements that they're mashing together in this cornbread. Uh, we, need, we needed Frank Redbear from Final Sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> ape shit and killed everybody. A bunch of white people went ape shit and killed everybody. That, that's kind of the gist of all these movies. Um. Eden. Oh, that dude was such a great character. Ain't that, just, ain't that just like a white girl? <laughs> Am I wrong? Is it is it there such thing as corn pudding? And I think I've heard of it. Yaks, have you had corn pudding? I have not, but I have heard it. In the old days, it was corn pone. What's corn pone? I don't know. Something. Corn pone is very similar to cornbread. There's good old corn liquor, so I mean, you know, corn's a good, decent fruit. I think, Doctor, you'll agree with me that corn pone was the icor of the corn side dishes. Look, I'm still working on my poem about yaks. Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a gangster alcohol corn pone. He was the equivalent. Was, corn pone ruled all of Kansas during Prohibition. Doctor, save the poem crap, turn it into lyrics, and yaks now perform it with Fungus Factor this weekend. I'm saving that for Yaks and I's spoken word duet of the Cowboys Lick Dicks. I see how it is. I'm buying tickets to all this. There's only one answer to this, one solution. Battle of the bands. Cowboy hat wearing Slick Dicks versus Fungus Factor. Bud Light's two for a dollar. <laughs> Actually, uh, Yaks texted me privately. We won't be serving Bud Light at our shows anymore. On the main stage, little C's and corn pone. <laughs> I didn't say that we wouldn't be selling them. I would say we'd be just giving them away because no one's going to buy them anyways. Oh, okay. Tut and I will be drinking them in the alleyway behind the pub. Well, Tut, well, yeah, that's kind of our approach to our tickets. Just give them all away. I know, all I do is I, I have a picture of fucking Kid Rock as his character in a, what was that, Joe Dirt? And it's just like, yeah. Fungus Factor, man. They're great. Yeah. 
They are great. We are great. Um, Eden gives the, uh, Eden gives the command and the two, and two little fuckers climb up into the bulldozers and dump a ton of dirt in the hole, drowning all their shitty parents in fertilizer. That's ironic, right? Eden's feeding the corn and the corn is pleased. We see the corn swaying peacefully in the breeze. It's, hey, it's a little bit greener now than it was earlier on in the film. It's gone from total brown to a little bit of green. Now that they're giving it some Whatever. pig's blood and adult, adult blood. Whatever. Personally, I don't know how, I don't know how they could have shot it, but I would have really enjoyed a, a nice overhead drone shot of that whole thing. Of the of the dirt going in, uh, to just to show the massive scale of it. I actually thought the scene kind of worked because it is a creepy, creepy scene. Uh, but I was like, if you could pull, if you could somehow pull back and show like all the people there with all the dirt going on instead of these close up tight shots, uh, I, I thought that would have really worked well there. But I don't know how you could get your actors to be buried alive. So, and it also kind of brings a lot of your parental issues to the surface. I really want to see those parents close up from above, just swallowing dirt and dying as their kids watched on, giggling and laughing. I want to see that. <laughs> I've met your mom. I've met your mom. She's. I've met Tut's mom. She's very sweet. I'm I'm not sacrificing her to the corn god. Not yet. (laughs) Um, Well, they're kids, so once their parents are dead under all the dirt, they get bored and go and play play cornhole somewhere. Uh, I guess that was the ultimate cornhole, that big ass fucking cornhole. Uh, Bo tells there's there's like a couple teenagers that aren't on board with all this. There's Bo and, and, uh, these two teenage girlfriends and she tells them, you guys go to the nearby town of Candlestick to get help. I didn't see my dad down that laying down there, which makes sense since her mom was laying down there, right? Oh, oh. Huh? Cause she, she was a slut. She it's slept there. She laid down with everybody but the dad, right? Uh, sorry. She's dead. I shouldn't be. Making fun of the dead. Uh, she, she, she seemed like a pretty dirty slut though. They didn't even give her like one line of dialogue. Her only thing was to be kind of a hot mom getting into a pickup truck. Uh, I figure out, like I said, after, after seeing them painting the corn on, or painting the corn roots with the blood and everything else, I was like, why are they not trying to figure out how to literally just Get the fuck out of there. Well, she tells them to get out of there, but she didn't see her dad, so she's going to stay and try to keep Eden from killing him, too. Tut, you know who else has been killing it lately? Oh, let's see. Our, our our good friends in the cornfields of Drew Estate. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's who we were with in Pennsylvania when Yakboy killed that kid. Uh, if you were listening to me earlier... You'd know all about the newly released tubular corn-shaped bits of awesomeness that were just unleashed on by our good friends at Drew Estate. And if you weren't listening, shame on you. Uh, dark, bold, and unapologetic, Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey 
into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's own Jonathan Drew, the All Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich, powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. Well, Bo tries to talk Eden out of killing the remaining adults, but it's a no-go. She's really dead set on slaughtering the grown-ups to help nourish he who walks, which really makes no goddamn sense why they changed he who walks behind the rose, which is iconic at this point. It's a franchise, and that's your iconic factor in all these films is he who walks behind the rose. Why shorten it to he who walks? It makes no sense at all. We're going to, we did some market research. Teenagers gravitate more towards three words than six words. So we just got rid of behind the rose. Dude, he who more sense than any other theory. He who walks. Why would they change that? Anyway. Don't they just call it corn demon? Yeah. Uh, you see a while back, Eden got lost. She says for a week in the corn, she's telling Bo this story, uh, for a whole week, she got lost in a cornfield. My sophomore year at Sam Houston state university style. Um, and he, he, the corn took care of her, something no grown up in the town ever did. So now she's going to take care of her sweet, delicious friend and feed him. The corn did not treat me as kindly back in 1996, I should say, by the way. Uh, I spent a week out there, and I sat on a donut pillow for about six months. It was pure nightmare fuel. But, uh yeah, whatever. I've, I've moved on. <laughs> Some would say that girl that led Kate out of the field had a corn cob of her ass. <laughs> yeah, girl. Or Professor Smythe, whatever. They get back to the the town jail. Moving on. Uh, we're just the preacher, Bo's drunk farmer dad, and a few other uh, dudes are still being held captive. Eden says they're both alive because they both spoke up to defend the corn at the town meeting, which isn't true at all. The preacher did. He stood up and said, we can't get rid of the corn. It's not because of gross gro- synth. It's not because of herbicides it's because of y'all's sin and he tried not he 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 did but Bo's dad totally signed the subsidies to destroy the corn that made no sense but he was drinking whiskey made from corn so (laughs) that's a a hypocrite destroy all the corn except leave enough for this stuff I'm gonna need more (laughs) get through the rest of my days uh but it turns out the holy man did sin in other ways. You see, he was Eden's foster parent who apparently did some very unholy things to her. Yuck. Yeah. But, but dude, without going into any details or without saying anything more, just her flirting with that he did some stuff to her was super creepy. And, and that, that scene really worked for me. And as a result, she orders the kids to drag the preacher out of the cell 
where she cars up his face and rips his eyeballs out of his head. All the practical gore effects in this thing look great. Earlier on, they bashed a kid in the, a teenage kid in the face with a baseball bat. Baseball Expo- bat scene looks Exposing excellent. his jaw and teeth. This preacher guy with his eyeballs pulled out looked really good. Man, if they had put just a little bit of that into the corn monster, I don't know. Um, but anyway, Eden then sends the remaining handcuffed, uh, adult men, including Bo's dad out into the corn to serve as supper for he who walks. God, that's such a stupid, nonsensical name. Uh, Eden, meanwhile, holds another sermon over the town hall, preaching the evils of man, the evils of the world and her vision for taking it back, giving control of everything to the children. Bo tries to make her way up to the podium with a knife to assassinate Eden, but she's thrown off course when it's revealed they tear off a blanket up on stage. They have a hostage. Beaten up ace, remember ace reporter Sheila Boyce from Omaha? She, <laughs> you're supposed to be coming in to cover the story and the kids kidnapped her. Eden demands that Bo cut her head off now as a sacrifice for her sins. Because she was going to use their plight for her own career. That's not good. But Bo says, you know what? She's talking to little runt Eden. She's like, you know what? Let's spare her. Let's take her straight out into the corn. And Eden's like, no, we'll take him. We'll take her straight to he who walks. This is when you really start as they go out to through the corn, you really start to see how much green is coming back into these corns that from the beginning of the film, the brown corn to now we're about three fourths green stalks, green leaves. What started out as a huge criticism for me, I actually saw there was a, a method to what they were doing. I like that they're introducing color into the corn as more people die in it. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm not saying it's appropriate, but it, story wise, I liked it. It was a nice touch. Technical wise, it was a nice touch. To color correct up to from brown to green gradually. It shows you these guys were thinking about something. I, I, that is a point. Uh, speaking of technical aspects real quick, uh, the, this flick is bonkers. As we've said, it's all over the place. I really wish it had a bonkers soundtrack, a bonkers score to go with it. Uh, the first film had an iconic soundtrack. Uh, the second film used a little bit of part one to do its own thing. But this film, which was so crazy, it had the most boring soundtrack. It seemed like it was straight out of some lame 90s dimension Miramax horror, straight to video horror movie. The score could have really helped with all this, st- this stuff we're watching. And it was just, I thought it was a big missed opportunity not to let somebody do something really cool with the music. Pat, you disagree? Again, I have the problem that I can't divorce my love of the first movie with this. Uh, How do you have... How are you trying to put yourself in the franchise with one of the most iconic horror themes known to man and not avail yourself of it? I understand you're trying to put your own staff to it, but that that little chorus ah, it's so freaking creepy and 
you didn't even try to come close to that. I mean, you didn't even give me anything. No, even the even the non John Williams Jaws four score tried to imitate John Williams badly, but it tried. I mean, look, you're you're changing the name of the he who walks. I mean, you're you just why. You basically slap children of the corn on there. It takes place in a cornfield, and that's it. That's, I mean, where's the tie-in to the franchise? I, now, you've I got, just, now you've got me thinking there should have been a Jaws 4 Children of the Corn tie-in where Mario Van Peebles comes out of the corn. Hey, Eden, man, what are you trying to do here? He who walks going to kill us all, man. <laughs> I mean, at this point, uh, give me something like that. I'd watch it. Um, well, they string up, uh, ace reporter Sheila Boyce in a barn. Oh, a barn, by the way. It should have been Peyton Manning. Where are you from? (laughs) Omaha, Omaha. (laughs) I like, I like corn. Eat a lot of it. Butter and salt is Eli. Yeah, butter salt. I was about to say, at least his brother's name's Eli. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, aren't they all named like Joe the Corn? Peyton, Eli, what's the other brother's name? Hooper. Hooper. That's a Joe the Corn name. Zedediah would have been better, but I got little cousin Zebediah. My oh, Peyton Manning's my Peyton Manning and my my Bill Clinton are the exact same boys. They're getting close. And I've been doing that for 30 years. <laughs> Sorry. Let's take him out to He Who Walks. Is it noon already? Is it noon already? All right. Um, well, get this. In the barn where they're uh, tied up the reporter, and the, remember the two chicks that Bo sent off to go get help in the nearby town of Twinkle Toes or whatever the hell it was called? Candlestick. Uh, candlestick. Candlestick. Uh, they're now hanging from the ceiling with missing limbs, and one of them has an axe in their head. So they, they didn't make it out of town. Uh, doctor, do you think she'll ever eat a bowl of corn again? My God, the sheer amount of corn pone that must be going through her veins, I can't imagine it. My God, every nerve ending of her body must be on fire with corn. I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. She didn't have any arms or legs and she had an axe in her head. It's far too early to tell. Are you questioning the it's doctor's diagnosis? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like you uh, throwing it's that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I said uh, it's far too early to tell. Are you doing your own YouTube research over there? You think you're a PhD now? Ate my share of corn. Uh, well, now, now let's nobody get a cob up their rear end. <laughs> I'm not yellow. Uh, all right. Will you guys just give me your ears for 10 more minutes? Oh, man. Ears? Uh, I'm holding to a kernel of hope that this sounds well. <laughs> all right. Well, bear with me. I think the show's about to pop. Uh, uh. Hey, is it just me or in the 80s when we were kids? Was there a place in the mall called Corn Dog on a Stick? Corn dog yes. seven. No, you were right. It was called corn dog on a stick. 
After you and I talked about it, I looked it up on Wikipedia. What corn dogs aren't on sticks? That's like having a restaurant called Hamburger on a Bone. Anyway. I digress. Before you and I get a case of Bud Light and watch Double Trouble tomorrow, do you want to go have some a sandwich on bread? <laughs> I do, actually. I do. I've heard good things about that place. It's right next door to beer in a glass. Yeah. Well, don't get it confused with beer in a can. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get this. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Okay. Eden opens the barn doors, the reporters hanging from the ceiling, and she summons he who walks. Come and get it. Dinner time. Only there's nothing. Nothing happens. The corn is completely still. Bo tells her, Eden, there is no he who walks. It's all in your mind. I think Bo at this point still thinks it's that fungus making yeah, it's these, the hallucinogen. Making these kids think they're seeing things. Until awake. Oh, he who walks shows up. And I didn't know if they were going to go there, fo- fully go there in this movie. But for the first time, I, I haven't seen a few of these movies, so there might have been another instance where he who walks by the rose shows up. No, doctor? I at least give them credit for like, all right, I'll make your children the core movie, but I'm showing he who walks behind no. the rose. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's good, and I'm not saying they pulled it off. I'm just saying they did it. They tried. I will, give, I will. I will give them a little something here. I'm a sucker for the big, heavy footstep thuds. Uh, just a dong, yeah. dong, dong. I don't care what the context is. When I hear that with impending doom, I'm always a fan of it. But then you show it, and I'm just like, give me a fucking break. Uh, so here's the deal. He's a giant CGI corn monster. Uh, he looks like a combination of like Groot from the Guardians of Galaxy movies and like a really badly designed from the 90s Swamp Thing video game. He looks terrible. Like even by like late nineties, early two thousands sci-fi mo- weekly movie CGI, he looks pretty stupid. Um, they but should have had Soundgarden's Spoon Man play at that point, but with Corn Man. Corn, corn Man, <laughs> come together with your hands, Corn Man. You know, I'm hit or miss on, on Soundgarden. I, I, I really like some of their stuff and not, but I always, I always thought that song was like their inner Sandman. I just thought that was the stupidest fucking song, Spoon Man. <laughs> I, hope I, got that. I hope I made that point. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Well, the, the big CGI monster, uh, rips Sheila Boyce from her shackles. And takes her body with him straight back out of the cornfield. Bo can't believe it. Fucking he who walks was walking. Um, oh, man. It was cheesy. It was cheesy. Do you guys like cheese corn? Indeed, I do. It's my the, favorite. It's my favorite good flavor. Cheddar corn. 
Yeah, cheddar corn is my, it's the only flavored popcorn I like. I don't like caramel corn. I don't like any of that other nonsense. Uh, don't get me started. Don't get me started on kettle corn muffin, man. No. Don't get me started on kettle, kettle corn. That's for jerks and lesbians. When it comes to popping corn, I'm going to have to pull a little rank here. I'm something of a corn mason when it comes to popping the corn and, uh, you eat a lot of microwave popcorn. I don't know if that you remember Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I am really challenging tonight, the doctor, and I, I apologize. I don't mean to be. Uh, I mean, that's like. Uh, <laughs> I get it. It's all in the microwave, but uh, Kate, I know what the corn is thinking. What is it thinking? I'm just saying cheddar corn is enjoyable, but when it comes to putting the corn in the microwave and popping it, <laughs> there's there's a touch and a feel that comes to that. You just go with old-fashioned butter. Okay. I, I enjoy the Pop Secret movie theater blend uh, with a little spritz on it. Hell, look who... All of a sudden, the crispy boy has become a crispy man for our eyes. That's literally my name on the Zoom screen, Crispy Man. Okay. Um, the kiddos douse Bo their next step in gasoline, but she explains to Eden if they set her on fire, it'll burn up everything, including their precious corn. Uh, they don't want to burn everything to the ground, and mainly because there's so much goddamn grain dust everywhere. Like, they haven't cleaned this town in years. Uh to get out of there, she's so wet in gasoline, she's able to just move her arm like this, and it showers the entire group of kids in gasoline. <laughs> her flannel sleeve. Uh, you that, did a thought, good job dousing that girl. Uh, so she runs. I have to mention my plaid shirt is made from ShamWow. <laughs> <laughs> well, she runs. And boy, does she run. She runs straight into the now bright green cornfield. It is fully alive and, and thriving again. She finds her dead drunk dad strung up in the corn like a scarecrow. And these husks, the corn husks, evilly kind of wrap around his head. Very digital looking. Very not cool looking. Dude, Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead back in the 80s, was wrapping tree limbs around chicks. And it looked so awesome with just practical stop motion stuff. They just don't, they just don't do that anymore. No, it's, it sucks. Cause a, a movie this bonkers could have th- really, if they had done an actual sky in a suit corn monster and actual stuff like this practical, I might have a very different vibe about this film. Wouldn't have saved it, but I wouldn't have saved it, but it would have made it a lot funner experience and it'd be, a, I, I would have left with maybe a little more better taste in my mouth. Because I was like, God damn, they actually went for a bunch of stuff here, missed a lot of it, but man, they went for it. Whereas the CGI stuff really killed it for me. Um, so she finds drunk dad and he, and he's already dead. Uh, so she runs some more and she finds ace reporter Sheila Boyce being ripped in half limb from limb by he who walks. So she takes off running in a different direction. Um, as she runs, the CGI cornrows fold down around her and shake violently. But to Tut's point, they did it better with strings on real corn in the first one than the, this shit just looks fake and, and not everything's 
together the corn rather than like one one stalk's a little bit off because it's organic it's just it's just so clean and in unison it, it's just it reeks of falseness you know um where was oh you know what else it made me realize all these bad cgi corn stuff it made me really appreciate the red lens in the first one whenever they would show the point of view of he who walks by the rose they just put a red lens on the film and mo- showed it moving through. And I was like, yeah, not only was that scary as a kid, but it actually is better than works better than this crap as an adult. And what made it work so great is because it was so simple because it was so basic because ultimately boys, what's more basic than corn. And let's not get fancy with corn. Let's stick to like, Simple answers here, and it lets uh, it lets us fill in the blank of what he who walks behind the fucking rose looks like. And now that we've seen he who walks, and it looks like a fake piece of crap, we just uh, it's just fake. I mean, it's just like it's it's nonsensical, and anything that happens on beyond that, I'm just kind of like, I don't believe it. It's not Robert Loja telling me that the corn's good for me, and I don't want to believe it. In in every way, and we talked about franchises earlier, in every way, when they had to use their imagination decades earlier, when they didn't have CGI at their disposal, and they had to make things by hand, and they had to imagine how that was going to look on film, things were better. Yeah. Um, And by the way, real quick, I did think of something more basic than corn. The green bean. You can do a lot more shit with corn than a green bean. I think I think green yeah, beans. So green beans. Should we make a horror film about green beans? Or I actually that the, was... like the green giant was made of in those commercials. He was a green bean man, or something? no? He was a broccoli. Oh. Uh. All right. Well, uh, moving on. Eventually, Bo runs. She, she's just running every. She runs. She runs into something. She turns and runs the other direction. Eventually, she runs. Fuel everywhere. Eventually, she runs into the monster again. And before he can eat her, she stabs him in the head with an old knife that had been discarded out in the cornfields. And he flips out. He goes fucking nuts, shaking, and all the corn starts shaking around him. She then runs yet. Does he have like a green brained like stab or? All right. That's so missed that's opportunity. That's a pretty stab. Or... I was so confused by yeah, this. Yeah, there, there was no innards to this guy. He was all outer exoskeleton. So I don't missed know. What... Oppor- missed opportunity here when he gets mad and he yells, and he shakes, and he's like, Rah! they should have had some popcorn popping at that point. <laughs> Well, later on in the film, I think there there should have definitely been some popcorn sound effects. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, and I just had a thought, like, because this is clearly a progressive approach to the Children of the Corn franchise, do you think, you know, trying to introduce things about uh, responsibility, environmental responsibility and, and all that, do you think this is going to go one step further and eventually we'll watch a movie with they, them who walks behind the rose? I don't know about that, but I'm not. I'm, I'm like, not, the, yeah, I'm not, why can't they just I'm go? Not, it walks behind the rose. 
I'm the, not opposed. I'm not opposed to the whole climate theme because the movie that we did earlier, they had all that climate stuff in there. They had land responsibility and and conservationism in there. The uh, yeah, part uh, two. Part two was very heavy on on the 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 black and white differences between the way the Indians treated the land, the Native Americans. Yeah, and, I just and the farmers. Uh, they, they just. They they try to introduce so much in this film and just missed all of it. Yeah, it's kind of like, man, you just grab, you go to Golden Corral and you throw a bunch of shit on your plate. And you're like, you get there and you look at it and you're like, all right, I got General Chow's chicken, a ribeye steak, a cheeseburger, some buffalo wings, and a chocolate sundae. What am I doing here? Like, I... I I'm introducing that is a, the equivalent of this film. I'm introducing bad, a lot of stuff. Reference. Who goes to Golden Corral? Thorn Man. Sorry. So Bo then yet runs some more and finds one of her dead friend's cars fortuitously parked in the middle of the cornfield, which she with the keys in the ignition, uh, which she jumps in and proceeds to drive the hell out of that cornfield. Earlier in the film, she's met this high school friend. She's like, why'd you park your car in the middle of cornfield? You know why. It's never explained. You know why you're going to need it later in the movie. Is what he should have said. <laughs> also, I guess I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I think that was his thing. Like, don't ask me. Don't ask me why I park my car in the middle of the cornfield. It's like, and then he, of course, right when we need it, there's the car in the cornfield. I didn't write this screenplay. <laughs> oh, and get this. Once she gets out of the corn and hits the streets of uh, whatever the town's called, uh, the car stalls out. Engine dies because it ran out of gas. It had a gas leak. And Eden pops up in the back seat holding a cattle bolt gun. Bo notices a pack of cigarettes on the dashboard, and she asks Eden permission for one last smoke before she's sacrificed. Well, conveniently... The car was leaking gas throughout her drive through the cornfield. So Bo slams the car lighter down on the ground, the pavement, and it sets the whole shit house up in flames. The fire races along that gas trail through the fields, blows the shit out of the barn, big ex- CGI explosions straight out of Expendables 3. I mean, it was just fake everything, uh, burning sky high. Eden obviously uh is not happy about all this. She apologizes to he who burns, as Tut said, he should sound like a popcorn bag going going nuts at this point as he walks out. And together they walk back into the cornfield where they go up and smoke uh with the rest of Rylestone, Nebraska. The next morning oh, some crispy business. But here's the thing. What's crispy business? When all that shit blew up at night, it is some crispy business. You might have the pairing of the night if I didn't already have it. Uh, but here's the thing. At night, uh, Bo, when everything was burning up, she's like, Eden, your game's over. The town of Twinkle Toes is going to see these fires burning, and they'll be here within the hour. To It's over. It's all over. But then the next morning, the sun's up, and we see Bo, no fire trucks, no people from Candlestick or Twinkle Toes or whatever the fuck it is. She's just walking alone through the burned remains of the corn. She finds Eden's little flower ring. She's a little girl, so she had a little flower ring she wore all the time. 
She finds it and she holds it in her palm, but it suddenly vanishes. Just as Eden, bloody Eden, returns, the little girl's now this charred, glowing, like red lava legs, uh, bloody, wicked corn demon face. Popcorn man. Don't worry, Bo. Nobody ever really dies in the corn, she says, as corn stalks grow out of her face as it breaks into parts and shoots straight at Bo. The end? I hope so. There's going to be another one in two years. Well, yes, of course there's, but I cannot figure out how. Because I was like, I don't know. Really? Ah, this is the eighth corn demon that we've recorded in this area. Really? So you kill a corn demon and you're going to hang around? I would be on the nearest vehicle. I don't care if it's a goddamn tractor. (laughs) <laughs> driving my ass over to wherever the fuck the next town is to get a the, bus, a car, the, plane, the helicopter. That's, that's when they, that's when they show the, that's when they show the scene of that Indian sheriff who's like, well, it's another corn demon killing white people. What do we care about? That was, I, would, be, I would literally be asking the question in this world, where can corn not grow? Oh, it doesn't grow there. That's where I'm moving. Now, where I had a scholarship to go to college. It's it's like Brody and Jaws. <laughs> after after those the Jaws movies, the last thing he's going to do is buy a houseboat. This chick can't get wait to get back out in the cornfields the next day and snoop around. Like what? I am living in Arizona. There's no sharks there. Arizona. Or like Mincy said, just just go to college like you wanted to in Boston. Yeah. For a second, for a second, I thought they would end that the right way and. She would wake up like from a nightmare in her dorm room in Boston, but uh, the fact, but but doctor, the fact that they didn't do that gave legitimacy that these weren't hallucinations. That basically solidified this film as the corn monster was real. Yes, in the con, yeah, yes, you're you're right. Um, Did you notice? when you rented the movie that when they put like five stars on prime that it had like two and a half. And I've noticed that that is a real red flag because even shitty movies get like four and five stars. So when you see like a two and a half out of five, you're like, uh Oh, it's got a bunch of negative reviews. I, Um, I, I, I love so many movies, two star movies that everyone else hates. I, I, I don't look at that stuff, but we're not talking Leonard Malton here. We're talking two yeah, star movies like, in the streaming world. Yeah. But like I've never in my world, in my entire life gone to like Rotten Tomatoes or oh, looked, at, either. looked at like, yeah, but at this point with this many offerings in the franchise, the only people that are watching these movies now are fans of the franchise that the fans are giving it two and a half. I will say this, Doctor, you you're probably the the only one here that can comment on this. I saw the first one, the classic, the second one, which was way better than it should have been. I saw the third one where they go to Chicago, Urban Harvest, and uh play basketball and try to grow corn in an abandoned skyscraper. I saw the fourth one, The Gathering, which I think had Naomi Watts in it, if you can believe that. Um and after that I saw a little bit of Isaac's return. Actually, I think I 
I should say, I saw the whole thing. I remember a little bit of it. I think it had Stacy <laughs> Keach in it too. Uh, it was terrible. And then I watched, they did a, a sci-fi channel. I saw uh, the sci-fi one with the Vietnam vet, uh, the interracial couple, which Stephen King yeah. actually came out and said that was by far his favorite. Yeah. Uh, spin on the short story. I'm going to go ahead. I can't believe I can believe I'm saying this. I'm going to put this at number three out of the ones I've seen because mainly Eden's performance, all these movies, like I said, fail more than anything. First and foremost with bad kid acting and in a children of the corn movie, the children, it's kind of important. They can act and it's, it's baffling that they got it wrong so many times. She, she was just a, a she was just a, a really fun, uh, little evil chick on screen. So I can't, I didn't, I didn't like the movie, but it's my third favorite children of the corn movie. So here, here's the a very quick, um, by the way, I point out that children of the corn Two: the final sacrifice, not to date ourselves, but that was one of the first movies that Kate and I saw, uh, legitimately. Uh, as a rated R movie that we didn't sneak into. We were actually 17 when that came out and saw that. Um, I believe Le- Lepre- Leprechaun was maybe the other one. Uh, no, it was, uh, Jason Goes to Hell. That was the other one. Okay. Um, so, uh, Final Sacrifice Part Two, which is a really good movie, really fun. It's, it's early 90s, but really fun. That was a theatrical release. Children of the Corn then blew up uh, in terms of the 90s video store, direct-to-video movement. And I didn't realize this until I worked in a video store for one summer in the 90s. I didn't realize the depth of direct-to-video films because... You think like, oh, a movie plays in the theater. And then in those days, in the 90s, it might be a year. Unlike unlike today or even even 20 years ago with DVDs, it might be a year before you could rent it on videotape. Um, going back to the 90s with just videotape, when I worked in the video store, it amazed me how the, the number of direct-to-video films dwarfed the theatrical releases. And because that's what everybody did on Friday and Saturday night was rent videos, the Children of the Corn series after part two, and I know there was Urban Harvest and The Gathering, three, four, five, I can't even remember who all was in them. Those were all like 94, 95, 96 in the heart of the direct-to-video era. That's when those movies came out, went straight to video, and movies would make profits because – you didn't go through the print and advertising of the nineties. You just went to a video store and they, they, people ran the shit out of them. Well, uh, that's a great point, doctor. I mean, we, we did a Canon group movie, uh, last time, the barbarians. And what you, what I never really understood until I read this really good book on them was theatrical was for their egos. The fact that they could produce films that got shown on the big screen, that was strictly for their egos. Their money was totally home video. Yeah. And when you look at their bread and butter, the American Ninja movies, the 
the missing in action Delta Force Norris uh, action movies. But main, where you really saw it was in those later Death Wish movies. They would go to film markets with a poster of Bronson, you know, late 60s with a big-ass gun on the poster. And they would sell out like three years worth of videotapes without the film even being shot yet. Not movie theaters, but they knew that if they put Death Wish on a video box with Charles Bronson's face on it, that shit would rent every Friday and Saturday night for 12 months straight. And in the 80s and 90s, when the video store dotted the American landscape, um, they you made a ton of money from those things. And so Children of the Corn, it, it, it really is an anomaly in that the first movie came out in 84, which I believe was the same year that the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out. But Nightmare on Elm Street kept having these theatrical releases Children of the Corn didn't make another movie for for almost nine years, and then they they had like four releases in the nineties. The six 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 one, I got excited about that because it had John Franklin in it as Isaac. It was called Isaac's Return. I, I really don't remember it at all. I do remember Stacy Keach was in one of those. There was a seventh film that came out like two thousand one called Children of the Corn Revelations. And so that's oh, that why was, with, uh, Clue, was that the one with Clue, uh, Kugluger? Well, I don't know because this is, and this is where I really get confused on it. I'm not going to do the homework. That was the seventh film. This being the 10th, the eighth and ninth were the sci-fi movie. And then the one that I think Clue was in Genesis, there was a one with, with David Carradine right before he died. Oh, geez. I didn't see that one. And I think that, so here's what I can't remember. This movie could be the 10th or the 11th. There's one with Carradine and there's one with Clue Gulliger. And I don't know if those are the same movie, say around 2012 or so. Easy to find out if you do an internet search. But yeah, the, when they, when they built up was that nineties direct video uh, movement. And it's just strictly based on two names, Children of the Corn and Stephen King. And they Absolutely. could, they could hype those up and slap any story together. And I'm pretty sure some of those stories, there wasn't even much corn. No, that, uh, that's what they did. They were, they were, they were bad movies. But that, but, 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 but doctor, that was in the horror world. That was, that's why there's like nine ghoulies movies or nine trancers movies or nine. If you had one that did well on USA Up All Night and on home video, man, all you got to do is put a number at the end of those things, and you got Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5, and people will rent it. But when you mentioned this week, you you asked me about uh, the fourth Sleepaway Camp movie, Return to Sleepaway Camp, and Part 2, Part 3, those were direct-to-video films. They were fantastic. And they were low budget, but they were great. And yeah. it, in this case, these were, you know, yeah, there was a, the, it, really the nineties, especially, uh, so many low budget direct to video horror movies that were shitty. Yeah. And, and like there, there's anomalies where they're good. They really, uh, I can't argue with you to go back to your original point. This is your third best one behind parts one and two. 
I can't argue that because I honestly, they all meld together. Yeah. I've seen so many of them once and just can't even tell you one or the other. Look, doctor, not every, uh, sequel can be your precious American poop. Okay. That, that's a diamond in the movie. How do you not throw more love to the sci-fi movie where King says this is the most accurate depiction of the story? Yeah, well, King King also said that Kubrick's Shining sucked. So take what you I like the the sci-fi version. I really don't remember much of it. I remember the guy has a Vietnam flashback when he's in the corn. Yeah. That's when I used to watch the sci-fi films. It it was played totally straight, which I liked. And the husband and wife... I I'm just so I'm just so attached to that that uh uh that uh Linda Hamilton and what's the guy Peter Horton in the first movie like that was like the in the in the sci-fi movie he was a Vietnam vet and he and his wife were having some real problems so yeah. it was like really intense between them whereas in the first one it was just as a married guy it was just very relatable like she'd be like I think you were supposed to turn right back there. Well, you should have told me then. Like, it was like, it was like real, real, very realistic bickering. Like, uh, they were very unlikable in the sci-fi flick. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, well, I mean, they had problems right from the beginning. I mean, they, they got right into the marital problems right from the beginning. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to put like, even though King says it's the most accurate depiction, my favorite is still that original. Uh, but yeah, I just like, I, Man, I'd put that sci-fi movie over this piece of crap. I, I, um, but I, I, I'm going to just say I can't rank it. I'm going to give Cade credit for making a choice. After after one and two, I can't rank anything that came after it. Uh, I thought the little girl that played Eden was fantastic. Otherwise, this movie was a piece of shit. Well, doctor, uh, I, I honestly didn't mind my 90 minutes spent. Uh, I, I got a kick out of, uh, the corn monster and to see where anytime it's a short story and there's only 20 pages of stuff to work with. I'm kind of curious what somebody, a writer, a director will do it. Working off that anymore. I don't think so. I'm just saying I, I've watched way more shitty movie. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but but I, I, I didn't mind. Tuesday Night Cigar Club. I didn't mind watching it. Mostly. <laughs> mostly. Uh, I will ask you this though, Doctor. Would you say, last question of the night, would you say that Eden's mission or her goal was one of atonement for the sins of the uh, town elders? I would say that's apt, Mr. Cade, because atonement is a uh making right one sins you atone for your sins so i would say that's an apt uh analogy so therefore tonight's pairing of the atonement cigar with the children of the core film you're a baseball guy that sounds like a home run doesn't it god damn it it's at least a triple well done sir well done thank you tut give us some links oh god <laughs> he doesn't have an enemy right. forgotten the links yeah, it's just this movie kind of took. He all walks joy behind of life. some crispy business. I, I was about to say, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to be able to call him he who walks behind the links anymore. All right, so here's some links, I guess. Come on, uh, Chris. Join us, 
Join us uh, on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. You can actually join us on Facebook, Houston United Cigar Club. Definitely go over to YouTube. Catch us there in all of our beautiful glory, uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. If you want to buy some of the cigars tonight, you can go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Click on the famous smoke shop banner. Uh, it will automatically enter the promo code TNCC20. Give you $20 off any order above 100 bucks. That's a pretty good deal. Famous uh, Smoke Shop actually does not have uh, tonight's cigar, the Atonement, but they do have a bunch of other diesel cigars. So, yeah, go there, throw TNCC 20 on, 20 bucks off 100. That's like 20%, man. That's pretty darn close. Um, thank you, guys, uh, and thank you all at home for watching and listening. Uh, trying to really put a well-polished, uh, different kind of show together for you this year and uh i i think i'm digging it um and uh tonight our little uh like indiana jones our little adventure into the world of franchises i think uh raised some interesting points some good talk good talking to you boys um in the meantime while you folks are sitting at home thinking about stuff think about this don't ever ever let the wings of liberty lose a feather Say it every morning when you wake up. Say it every night before you go to bed. And we might just have a chance against Bud Light and, to a lesser extent, Fungus Factor. Uh, which, by the way, uh, appearing every Wednesday night from 5.30 to 5.45 at O'Brien's Pub in historic downtown Temple, Texas. I and swear we- to God, if anyone shows up to see Fungus Factor, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> oh, what a crispy man he was. <laughs> Sayonara, motherfuckers. We'll see you next time. To learn more about the time yours truly, voiceover maestro extraordinaire Keith A. Howell was banned for life from ever entering a Golden Corral restaurant again, and I use the word restaurant very loosely in this instance, please read my open letter to the editor of Buffet Eater's Digest entitled, Fried Chicken, Lasagna, and a Crispy Taco, How I Spent 13 Hours on the Toilet and Lived to Tell the Tale. My bowels were angry that day, my friends. Very, very angry. But at least I used those 13 hours wisely and actually made it through one full entire episode, seemingly endless, of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Seriously, dudes, you are not exactly Ken Burns documenting the entire Civil War, for Christ's sake. It's Children of the Bloody Fucking Corn, Part 11. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's we're in double digits here. Kids playing the corn, adults do adult stuff, largely unseen. Kids get possessed and go batshit crazy. Kids butcher all the adults. The end. With maybe like a little opener for Children of the Corn 12. You've been waiting for this one. See how simple that was? On the other hand, what wasn't simple by any means was the plate of food I assembled that crisp autumn evening at the Golden Corral in Sandusky, Ohio. Besides the chicken and the lasagna and mm, at least one taco, I think maybe I also threw in some egg rolls on my plate with, uh, oh yeah, some coleslaw and at least one slice of pizza. 
perhaps needless to say, I was publicly known as he who needs to buy new underpants for quite some time after that, and I did not appreciate that cruel slur one bit. Then again, just go grab the latest issue of Buffet Eater's Digest out of your mailbox for the full, sordid story. It's truly riveting and truly gross. What? Seriously? You don't subscribe to Buffet Eater's Digest after all these years? Well, well, well. Who's the weirdo now? Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit CigarWorld.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. <laughs>